Right, this is going to be another episode of Summoning Insight. It's probably season something or other. I don't know, was it four at this point in time? I was like, five? I don't know the logic of how it works. Problem is, we did, as everyone knows, scoff it by season one was like 400 episodes. Now, it was about 200, I think. But it was still no outrageous amount of numbers. Obviously, we're in season five now. Still in the spring split. If people don't know, you might think to yourself, the only downside to Summoning Insight now is there's not like a clear theme as to like who will be on the next episode what region will they talk about there are reasons why i thought we'd do a quick sidebar just explain one unlike the original first season of some of the insight let's be real just the first couple of years in the modern day like i said in the past it's kind of a waste of time in my opinion to like have a guy from like lec who's a pro player and then just go try and go in depth on like the fifth best korean team and what they're doing with their top laners draft pick like listen every now and then you'll get lucky and there'll be a guy who actually really does watch the games but half the time it's just going to be really awkward of us going like shit well what he's just said it's nonsense but the problem is he's a really famous player so we'll just awkwardly talk around it like what he said instead, so instead of doing that in general right we're just picking themes from what we think is interesting and all the guests so obviously when Nymera comes on in the later episode we're actually going to be talking about LEC and obviously on the past he's come on the show to talk about LGL the Japanese league but more specifically in the context of MSI and Worlds if people haven't seen he has been one of the guests that has appeared this season on LEC because LEC does that weird thing you notice where like they sort of like trial talent almost before they give them the full gig now have you noticed that it's like on the one hand i can't tell i actually want to get, get your thoughts on this as someone who's obviously been in the league industry and has been in position to potentially i mean the joke is you never got to do it in your era but in the modern day you would have been on one of these you would have come like ashley for one week or papa when he came a few years back it would have actually been within your wheelhouse to maybe go and do that so i want to know what you thought of this because there's a, there's a little background here fans not might understand which is first of all i believe i, I actually think on the top of my head i can't remember if it was shocks off Scoring was the first to do it, but I know there's been this trend you've seen where the actual mainstays of LEC have basically all gone freelance, as far as I can tell, except I think maybe Quickshot. I think he works fully for Riot, right? Yeah, as far as I know, he's still a, a full time Riot employee. I will say that I have, I never had like an official offer, but I did at one time a couple of years ago have like preliminary conversations about me coming on the LEC, but I said no, I didn't want to do it. Um, I mean, just for an episode, as in like when they appear for a week like this and they just yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. not like full time or anything. Like yeah, that. yeah, just as like a guest. So it's not like I haven't been talked to about that, um, but it never really went anywhere. Oh, do you mean actually in the last couple of years? Yeah. Oh, I see. Right, I, I was meaning more as in if you'd have still been in Korea, like you were the court. If you were your Atlas now, like you used to be, essentially, you would have done a week like Nymeria does, etc. My point was this, which I want to ask you about: is what do you think about the way they actually bring on talent for LEC specifically? Because as I say, they don't like they did it. back in the day. What they basically did was they had the crew; they were on every episode, and essentially, you either went from nothing to full time on the crew, and that was about it. Now it looks like what they do, Monty, to me, is almost like focus group style. They bring these people on some are big names some are small names some have done like smaller things like nymeria on nlc some are like people like gashi kang who are way bigger and they, it's almost like they test the waters out and then i get the vibe they either see is that all i need do i only need a sprinkle of fox drop two times a split or do i actually want him for the whole split if i want him for the whole split then we can eventually move to you know like cage will start maybe you can come on properly but like i want to know what you thought of that because on the one hand 
since it's riot, my mind does go to the cynical approach. Yes. Of like they're it's trying to pay them the minimum possible while getting as much uh, <laughs> from their brand as they can, but at the same time, not making their brand too big because then they're riot and you wouldn't want anyone to associate anything but riot legal legends as the thing you want. You know, you know that whole fuckery. So what do you think? Cause if this was like CSGO, for example, dude, I'd actually say it's a good method. Like in CSGO, I sometimes get mad when people want a guy who's done like a tier three event to just be thrown on like the major grand final desk and like, dude, he could just sink instantly. So I, I don't mind it as like sort of a practical approach i have to say so i'll take i'll take two two sides of this one so i think that there is both a very good side as well as as you say a more insidious side to what they do um i think the good side is that a uh, quick shot i know is very dedicated to kind of showing people the ropes and being that mentor figure i think it's obvious like he himself as he has said, like took a step back during Worlds, which makes a yes. lot of sense because he has a lot of additional responsibilities. And this is exactly what I said, by the way, guys. And I didn't know anything. I just speculated that the reason why he wasn't at Worlds was because it was literally the only break he could get in an entire year because right. he has to pre-plan for LEC for the next year. And he has, you know, he has a large amount of authority and control, which I think is has been good for the LEC broadcast. Sure. Um, so it wasn't anything weird as you guys were all speculating with Froskerin, like releasing that really cryptic and stupid comment about him it's like yeah, by the way the beans frost just spill the fucking yeah, exactly beans, you know? i should probably address that briefly because <laughs> is it a bit weird that we haven't really said anything about that right all i'll say is this one right that the reason i want to actually address this personally is i know in the past i've said something that people misread and actually thought maybe i was talking about quickshot in the past i can't remember what video it was but i've mentioned that there was like a member of high up talent who like could sort of play god with who got hired and who didn't i actually wasn't talking about lec or quickshot there i was actually talking about lcs i won't say who in lcs look luckily i don't like most of those people anyway so you can speculate freely as you fucking want on that one if someone catches a stray on that one <laughs> bad luck but i'll say this it wasn't quickshot i was actually referring to i actually don't have a problem with quickshot <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think it also like Frosker and I don't even understand the point of releasing all this like weird information or accusations about LEC because are you Frosker and you're not going back to LEC. Like, you're, you know, after what you said on the way out, after all this stuff where Quickshot was kind of your boss and you tried to vaguely throw him under the bus. So what is the point? If you if there are real bad actors at LEC, what is the point of not saying exactly what happened and who they are? Seriously, like you you might be able to fix things like you got nothing left to lose. So that's why it's all weird, because it makes me believe that it's not really that bad because I don't see a downside to releasing this yes. information if you're you're in her position. So that aside, um, by the way, if you are someone in LEC, though, this is what I will say that other people haven't thought through. Right. Look, for and herself, I can tell you, I have seen her lie enough factually about things that were in my own life that I can no longer even trust what she says. But I will say this. This is why I want to extend this hand, though. If you are someone who isn't for and you currently work on LCS, LEC, if this sort of thing ever does happen, by the way, for real, reach out to me or Richard Lewis or Monty, and we will either ourselves help you with it, look into ourselves, potentially even publicize the topic, or we'll pass it on to the people who can. Because that's the other thing. If this really did happen, unfortunately, we have... For reasons alluded to before, we have to be skeptical somewhat of Froskurin's claims. There's no evidence to it. She hasn't named anyone. She hasn't even, as far as I know, sort of told someone else secretly you can know the. So again, we can't verify those. But if it ever is going on, I actually don't want someone to wait until they've wait, you know left the company and then years later, just in a bitter rant, happen to mention that this is fucking up the whole industry. If I'm still in the industry, just let us know. We'll do what we can about it. 
Yeah. And, you know, frankly, guys, like we're one of the few groups of people who can do something because not only are we never going to be able to work with developers already, but we don't want to. So it doesn't matter if we burn those bridges or not. So we're happy to do what we can to release information for the betterment of the industry. And we're one of the few people who are not reliant on developers uh, for our incomes or for our lives. So who can do that, basically? But that aside, let's get back to the topic, (laughs) which is. You know, I think that bringing on the talent is is interesting because it allows people, as I was alluding to with QuickShot, I know he's very dedicated to showing people the ropes um, and he's very passionate about developing caster talent. And he frankly has done a very good job of it. Uh, I think QuickShot is, you know, really good at his job. Um, and it allows a kind of more low pressure way to bring people in. It's like they can bring them on the analyst desk or try and play to their strengths and then slowly integrate them into casting as well. Give them a couple of games, see how they do, give them feedback and then, uh, you know, iterate kind of week over week. Cause like Nymeric keeps coming back. Right. So they must like what he's doing. I like what he's doing. Very eloquent and, and well-spoken guy, very smart about the game. Um, as we've seen on this show in the past, which is why we keep bringing him back. Cause he's great to talk to. Uh, and so, you know, I think it's, it's well-earned now. I think the dark side to this, so there's there's the, there's the medium side as well. So the, in between the darkness and the light is just that LEC has seen a lot of turnover. Like Frosker and oh, left, sure, yeah. uh, you know, some of their casters have been, you know, leaving and going to other projects. So it helps, frankly, to have people uh, who know the ropes at least a little bit on LEC that you can start integrating into your broadcast, and then you can call them up full time as people kind of rotate out. As we saw this off season with Cadrill's cryptic announcements, seems like he wasn't going to be on the broadcast, which means yes. there would have been another analyst hole. Seems like they came around to some sort of deal uh, at the last second, but uh, d- didn't didn't really appear that Cadrill was going to be on the broadcast this year for quite some time during the off season. So that would have been another. Um, you know, another hole that that could have been filled by somebody who has some experience on the broadcast already, some experience with the product. So I think that that's like a very smart thing is to create a pipeline that you have people you can bring in um, as as kind of people leave. Now, the kind of insidious part of that is that I think we can assume this is all an assumption. I think we can assume from Cadrill not being on the broadcast to suddenly being on the broadcast that his deal must have changed, which meant that he was clearly. I would say offered a deal he didn't like at first, said no, and then said yes to a better deal later on. Which is also the more people you bring on the broadcast, the more pressure you create on your existing talent um, to kind of cave on on deal yes. terms, yes. Um, because they they are effectively training their replacements on broadcast or helping them out. Now you could say QuickShot's training them, but you know they're also helping these people out on the desk, which you have to everyone, everyone's a teammate when you're on those yep. broadcasts. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a competitive industry. That's just the core of it at the end of the day. And like, um, pretending like it shouldn't be competitive is stupid because if there is competition, it will drive harder work ethics from the casters oh. and, and, you know, have them be better. So I'm not complaining about that. Every, every caster, everybody in esports on the broadcast side, is just as competitive as the players. I promise you that. Uh, you don't get that far without being hyper competitive yourself. Um, but there's also, you know, I think it is a method in which Riot can keep caster payments down. I think that is it creates oh, sure. it create because unfortunately in League of Legends, uh, there's nowhere else to go. 
you know, Riot has a monopoly. So now that OGN's out and you can't just fucking bounce to OGN and go to Korea, they control all of the major regions in the world in terms of the broadcast, which means they can unilaterally set uh, broadcast rates across all major regions, which is bullshit as a caster. But unless you're going to switch games, you're fucked. Yes. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> it just creates even more pressure on the casters. Yeah, that's the one part, by the way, where I think being broadcast talent in esports doesn't actually properly work, Monty, is because it's not actually like showbiz in that sense, because like the premise goes like this, right? It's not that you're a commentator. You're a commentator in League of Legends, and the in League of Legends part for most people is 98% of being a commentator, you know. Yep. So the real issue is this. If they were willing to just use their skills and build up the like general ability and then go, right, well, if this doesn't work out, then I'll go to Valorant. Oh, that's what I did, right? Yeah, but the problem is most people won't do it. Like In reality, this is, by the way, the number one problem behind the scenes that black pills everyone on the industry side of esports is broadcast media will always be fucked in game dev controlled games yes. because ultimately the number one goal of everyone isn't get paid properly get what i just say it's i want to be there and do the event that is the number one goal and so unfortunately there's always going to be someone who no matter how bad the deal you get offered they'll say yes because they just want to be on the they love league and they want to be on the broadcast or they haven't done a big event or whatever unfortunately that's why you can't resolve all these issues now there is one actual upside that i've noticed that no one else has seen and i'm just going to give the little heads up now and sadly because it's a riot game this might ruin everything including the contracts right this is an area where lec is fucking up monty but they could nail it and for the next split onwards they could could be so far ahead of the rest of League of Legends. And here's where it is. They don't properly use their people for skits at the moment, Monty. Now, people are going to say, that's not true. They did the whole music video. No, I'm talking about do like regular skits. Like, you know when me and Monty did some of the inset that season for Cloud9, where we were in that like red zone studio. And we would have like a cold open to every single episode, right? You know, sometimes they had no effort whatsoever. Sometimes they're actually sort of like half an hour job, but they were like funny or they were just topical. Here's why LEC is missing a trick not doing this. Because if you follow the social media of the people on LEC, shocks and troubling, especially, have TikTok accounts and just post TikTok slash Instagram reels almost every day. They just come up with whatever fun idea, whatever thing. Sometimes it's related to League, like, like, like Trouble Links are often about like Katarina, which is like the champion she means. Sometimes if it's like a shocks one, it'll be like half about League, half about some cultural shit. Now, I don't always get the jokes because sometimes it's like some like millennial Zoomer shit. Like maybe I don't know what song they're referencing, you know. But as someone who's seen, like if you've seen most TikToks, most TikToks are just like people steal someone else's idea and do a worse version of it. These are actually funny they're actually entertaining they're pretty good and they clearly just thought them up in like five minutes and just recorded it with whatever they had so if i was the lec by the way i would integrate this to your broadcast you have people already doing this now the reason i said unfortunately i'm almost remiss to actually give them ideas is because i don't want them to now be like yeah he's right monty right put it in the contracts they're only allowed to make tiktoks and lecs for our, and for reels for us only and they only get paid x for it. it's like no i don't want you to ruin it that listen don't ruin everything for everyone i'm just saying if you're actually smart these people are already showing you the way forwards and also they could do some sick content on the broadcast i think it could do some really funny shit it would also be a great way to just include by the way if people don't know on that shocks episode we did Cage made that hilarious move like we almost shot I'm sure he could do loads of these as well so I would get them involved because to me this is like an area you sort of missing a gear on this you could you could make an extra level of entertainment on LEC in my opinion I think it'd be awesome yeah I mean I I also think that those kind of things are very easy to insert into the broadcast like throughout the day I you know one of the things that <laughs> <laughs> we're really going down a production rabbit hole. But one of the things that really frustrates me is that, uh, so 
LEC likes to do what are called cold opens, which in in television are kind of these non sequitur starts to the show, right? And that works when people have appointment viewing television, like cold opens on, um, you know, on sketch comedy shows are very famous, right? Um, or or on a kind of like late night talk shows. But that's because people will start watching the broadcast. What doesn't make any fucking sense is when you put your skit at the beginning of a sports broadcast when no one's watching because there's a pre-show beforehand, right? You know, right at the start of the game. You want to er- insert these things into the middle of the broadcast to have maximum exposure. So it doesn't make any sense that when they're actually structuring this kind of content or when they're actually putting it in the broadcast. Um, it's the same thing like on LCS when they like play the, the cool, the frankly cool intro video that they made this year, which I enjoyed. But the reason why OGN's intros worked was because they played them right before every single game on the broadcast started. So you saw it and got hyped every single time. Like there's a method to doing this that maximizes the viewership. You have to spam it. You have to insert it. it, You know, when we were making uh, skits on Flashpoint, they were kind of peppered and sprinkled throughout the broadcast. Like there's a way to do this right. And so I feel like a lot of this content, you know, isn't, it gets viewed in the, in, on their YouTube channel, which is also great. Right. But when we're doing it for for Summoning Insight, most of our viewership comes from VODs. So people start at the beginning yeah. of the VOD. That's the part of the video that people see the most. That's why that's where that content goes. Yes. Right. Anyway. <laughs> no, no, I'm with you. I've always thought that was also the flaw, by the way. Imagine this as well. Right. I think it's bad enough that I've worked essentially an entire per individual's career just as an analyst in CSGO. Like, I remember, Monty, I've been doing it since 2013, for fuck's sake. Like I said, I've done an entire just full-time job alone as an analyst. And yet you do know the 99% of my clips just, like, didn't even make it. The, forget, they're just on the cutting room floor, mate. They're not even on the internet. Like, they didn't, they didn't put them up on the internet. So I, I agree. I've always thought the way we show the games is so mental. The idea you just tune in and the games just be gone. I mean, big well, already. Like, what? It's just so what? funny, Thor, because, like, OGN showed us how to do this like 20 yeah. years ago and nobody fucking paid attention except for me because that's how i structure flashpoints broadcasts <laughs> now here's the thing crazy. watch this segue monty now speaking of you know talent where you're not sure where they'll be will they be there in two weeks will they not be there in two weeks like foxtrop cage roll troubling well speaking of people where you don't know if they're going to be there in a week or two what about tsm who the fuck's going to be in tsm next week who's going to be in tsm ever again after this split who knows even if they'll have an order at the end of the all cards are on the same line because if people don't know not only does the tsm misery continue oh yeah don't worry like the, it hasn't stopped yet boys and if the joke even is like the one game they won it's even questionable as fuck like immortals <laughs> low key they, almost yes, gave them that game i know yeah, they, let's, let's, let's be let's be real guys let's be real like, <laughs> they could have be like zero should be zero and nine like if if we're being honest like they shouldn't have won that immortals game immortals fucking through that game i actually kind of like watching immortals play weirdly we can get into that i I think they're a team on the rise and i think they've been consistently improving and they have some good pieces um i think they they i think they you know they can be a playoff team yeah they lost to golden guardians that was i think disappointing but at the end of the day, like they've actually shown some good flashes. They just need to be able to kind of not int leads and then finish games. Um, but I think they're close, you know, weirdly. Um, but anyway, TSM, yes. There's a world where they're 9 You could also make an argument that maybe they they could have won that C9 game. I think oh, that sure. people, people tunneled in that C9 game on the fact that they had so many kills early. But the goal difference, it was like they were down like, C9 was down like eight kills, but the goal difference was only 1,200. So really, it was just a matter of 
um, C9 actually effectively funneling gold onto Summit's Camille, which is exactly where you want it. It's the player you want it on, certainly, especially after we saw some of his individual performances on Jace this last week. Uh, so I, I think it was deceptive because people got sucked in by the kill counter and weren't actually looking at it. But could TSM have won that game? Possibly, right? Hey, let's um, win better position than most of the other games. Like, if we can yeah. put it that way. <laughs> now, I agree. Like, let's be real. Sinan's one of the best teams. So just the roster-wise, I would have never trusted them to execute. But I agree. Like, at least there was a possibility there. Here's the problem, though. We're not even just going to now do a thing about C9 being shit. Because as I said before, if C9... Uh, TSM, rather. If TSM <laughs> really is this bad, by the way. Spoiler, there won't be in many episodes of Summoner Insight. We don't spend, like, 45 minutes talking about teams that are 10th place in the fucking LCS. I don't know if you've followed Summoner Insight for many years now. Like, it's been ages since we did the whole thing where we talk about every team so but there is la thankfully thankfully one thing you can still rely on tsm to provide is a ridiculous fan corp which will always be something we might like to address <laughs> and then b better drama with the players always love a bit of the old drama with the players monty so as usual we've had some drama and spoiler i'm gonna i'm gonna ruin it already for everyone right it's not actually like top draw fucking drama where you know someone has done something and someone has said something and we might have like totally different sides on this spoiler it's pro players doing that thing they love to do where what they do is they go yeah i might be losing and i might be really bad but you don't know exactly why and what exactly is happening in my scrims so how dare you speculate on why i'm but you know when they do that thing what you read it's like i have a secret but i'm not gonna tell you you like so joke is spick has done that right because he's gotten triggered i assume he's just seen a comment on reddit or somewhere you know he's seen someone essentially suggest that like the benching of shen yi was like you know i don't know did the player were they in on it or whatever and then essentially instead of going well i am in like the last place team and my owner has absolutely and gm have absolutely fucked this off season and now even i don't know what's gonna happen with the roster so maybe i should give fans sort of you know a fucking bone maybe i should give them a break and let them get in on the act no 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 he's Scolding all the fans for not knowing what he knows. And by the way, spoiler, he's not going to tell you that either. So, <laughs> so come on, let's, let's adjust this tweet then. Come on. Hello, Deppy. And by the way, spoiler, we'll get to it in a minute, but double F's follow up. Chess I'll get, right. We'll get to that in a minute. That was good. So, that was a good time. So it's on your screen right now. Speaker's tweet is the narrative has gotten out of hand. Oh my God. By the way, this was a narrative perpetuated by TSM. TSM made this narrative by posting about it. You fucking idiot. Like, <laughs> it, I love it. Not speaker, but you fucking idiots is in yes. TSM. Like you can't, you can't just like make this very poorly worded and cryptic Twitter statement about Shen Yi and Yurasan and make implications based on that and then just be surprised, like a surprise Pikachu when the fucking clapback happens on players. So here's what it says. The narrative has gotten out of hand. No one on the team was against Shen Yi shot calling. In fact, when he first told us after 0-4, we all agreed. No player played a part in deciding his benching. It was not anything gameplay related. I wish my only job is to jungle. Uh, so here's the thing. He's basically throwing the management under the bus because it sounds like the players want to play with Shen Yi, or at least he does, right? Um, and it's not anything gameplay related. So unfortunately... The only thing you've done here is either made your management seem incompetent. Yep. They are. <laughs> or you said Shen Yi is a shitty teammate, <laughs> basically, because if it's not gameplay related, it could be attitude related, right? So now you're just revealing even more weird things about your team. And I just, like, if you don't want this narrative, then TSM should not be the one perpetuating it in the first place. Like, it's the org's fault. And here's one thing I will say that's very positive about Reginald over the years, Thorin. In these situations in the past, Reginald is exceptional at tanking aggro. He will go and like 
create some drama elsewhere or he will take responsibility or he will just start insulting people on the internet and he will draw all the aggro to himself because Reginald's not a coward guy. He's an asshole, but he's not a coward. And so drama works, but as you say, like in the past, (laughs) he would have a minimum. He would have done something like if it had still been a top team, you know, he would have like challenged fucking cloud nine to some bet or something, wouldn't he? Or something, something silly where something embarrassing happens. Yeah, exactly. So I, you know, this is this is one of those situations where you could really use Reginald's strength yes. to like diffuse this, but you can't. <laughs> like they can't right now because he he can't be an asshole because it will only make his problem worse. Yes, um, but he was always good at this, you know. Frankly, and uh, this just goes back to like you know, nobody is taking responsibility. I was watching, I was punishing myself by watching Hotline League because Dominic Callis was on there. And basically, you know, he says he doesn't have the gameplay knowledge to make decisions effectively, but he kind of just, you know, played played like, the, you know, the shell game as to who was making the decisions and ultimately nobody takes responsibility. And like, this goes into a bunch of issues within League of Legends, both on the team side, in this case, where no one is stepping up to take responsibility or Wait, being a figurehead. On, on that topic, though, as a quick aside, why was he why was he the guest then? Like, I don't understand. Like, if he doesn't know anything like about the game specifically, so he couldn't address, like, for example, like, I do think that player should be benched or shouldn't, then, then what's the point in him being on the episode? Like, isn't that just bringing... That's like bringing on the guy where it's like, this guy works in, a, like, the fucking... He, this guy works in the legal department. It's like, well, then what's he going to comment on? Like, why was he a guest then? I'm a bit confused. I what was he know. supposed I mean, to have an insight on? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Fair Basically, enough, like... Okay. He said that he was deleg- he you know he had delegated people to Chawi and this assistant GM that they had brought yeah. in who who's now on site who used to live in Taiwan or who is from Taiwan I guess, um, and so basically was talking about the infrastructural changes. So there was a point to it, but at the end of the day, like the fact that nobody is stepping up and taking responsibility and like this has been a problem within broader esports certainly right but you know especially on the league of legends side now this is a team instance of it but riot does this as well the fact that the the people who are supposed to be the commissioners the faces of various leagues are ghosts guys mental in it ghosts so here's here's a fun one thorin so there was a there was a kind of big deal with a pause and like Faker accidentally using a flash in this game against Don Juan this last week that yep. that resulted in a remake. I think that was the right ruling. I think the problem was I think Don Juan was kind of being like dicks about like you know not wanting to chrono break or whatever. We're not going to get into the whole thing, but it, I think it was the right decision. So the right decision. I mean, yeah, losing at the moment, man. Put it out way. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know the thing about it is that what's so weird to me is that they have released, you know, this video with the referee comms and the ref didn't stop the game, even though that Faker's headset was having problems during champ select. And they should have just like, obviously just been like, okay, we'll just fix this problem before going into the game because then this problem would have even existed. So that was the real issue, right? But here's the thing, Thorin. No one actually knows who the LCK commissioner is. No one knows. It does have a commissioner, guys. But this person doesn't want their name to be known and they don't want to take public responsibility. And it's like, why are we like throwing this ref under the bus by putting out voice comms and like a Twitter statement when this person can just get up and make a make an announcement or say, here's why the decision was reached. What I don't understand is like why everybody in this fucking space is just such a coward. And it's like the LCS commissioner was a ghost last time. They have a new commission now. We'll see how that goes uh, overall, you know. We'll give we'll give her some time to like settle in and see if things are going to change. Um, 
LEC commissioner. Do you want a little yeah. mini run? <laughs> Hold up. Hello. LEC commissioner was active on Twitter. But again, these weren't people who were like showing up and actually making announcements. Oh, wait. It's the LEC guy, the one who like <laughs> said that I have had like a net negative impact on yes, esports. That right. That guy. Up <laughs> I don't think he's the LEC commissioner anymore. I think I they changed. Think changed. I actually don't even yeah. know who the new one is. I mean, this this uh, is the point did. is like nobody knows who, who does these jobs and nobody is willing to like step up and take responsibility in this industry. It's it's insane. Yeah, here's the thing, though, I will say. This is why, though, right, Monty, you can't have people like Riot. I know it sounds mad because they're doing the league. Essentially, they can't, uh, if you want this to be done well, they can't appoint the sort of yes man that they nearly always appoint to these jobs. Because it's a bit like the analogy I would draw, Monty, would be what's going on in Counter-Strike right now with the ESIC, the whatever it's called, like the Electronic Ethical Integrity Coalition. Yeah, whatever the fuck the name of it is. But basically, yeah, it's basically it's like it's supposed to be sort of like an... Uh, a kind of a governing body that can arbitrate when issues come up, etc. And it's supposed to stop cheating and match fixing and collusion and conflict. All the things you'd want someone to oversee, right? But here's the problem it runs into all the time. Because obviously me and Richard have like heavily followed this and talked about on by the numbers. The main problem it runs into that I've identified is this, Monty. The main guy is basically sort of a milk toast-esque character who's just sort of like, well, you know, I'm going to look into if any wrongdoing has happened and I will have a stern conversation with them and then we will determine sanctions. It's like, that's not the guy you want for that job. Like, that job, for real, that's supposed to be some Batman-type motherfucker who's like, I'm here yep. to hold everyone accountable yep. and I don't care about if yep. I look at them. That's why I even say Batman, but it's supposed to be at the end of the fucking Dark Knight where it's like, and we have to chase him, Sam, because someone needs to. That, you're supposed <laughs> yes, exactly. to be Batman. Like, you know, I always tell you, if I want, like, listen, people give fucking all those american sports franchise league commissioners so much shit but the joke is that is their job literally yes. roger, roger Guerrero's right. job is that you hate him instead of yes. hating the nfl and so if you're a, a new england patriots fan instead of going well i'm not even watching the nfl then if they're going to cheat brady you're supposed to go it was just that buddy goodell he just hated brady personally who definitely cheated but no oh, why can't we cheat every time at the patriots just one time we got punished that's unfair but yeah so basically the joke is that's actually essentially like a feature of their job is tanking the aggro so i agree with you monty the premise is i want there to be like a famous person for lcs commissioner but the premise is it's someone who actually if anything would almost want to like battle people if you say you disagree with things are gone I'll, I'll go ahead and i'll come on you short etc that would be great for everyone the problem is though like i don't think it'll ever happen because as i alluded to i think riot intentionally picks the right people who know which way their bread's buttered as it were so unfortunately this is all again we're in the abstract world i don't think it's gonna happen in reality unfortunately. well it's it's also true that basically everyone who has been a commissioner or, or been in positions of decision-making power on the logistics or side, like the tournament operations side, has been internal to Riot. Like these are people who have never worked in another esport for the most part. Right. Like Nick Allen did at IPL briefly, uh, yes. right? But that was in the very early days of esports. And so it's hard because these people, these people actually, you know, frankly, are frequently not qualified for these positions because they've never run tournaments. They don't have broader esports experience. Um, and they're put into these, they're put into these positions, which is weird. Um, and yeah, they don't want to be public figures because they're not what I would call esports. Many of them are not what I would call esports end gamers. And what an end gamer is, is a person who is in esports as their career end game, right? A lot of right. these people. Okay. Look at what look at John Spector uh, over in the Overwatch League. 
He's now moved into a corporate position on the main Overwatch team, right? And these people are climbing within the companies, but they'll pop over to the development side or to a different part of one of these giant companies because they're they're career climbers. They're not esports end gamers. And what you need in a commissioner role is an esports end gamer who's going to take that position very seriously and who is willing to put their reputation on the line knowing that that may prevent them from climbing the ladder further if they make a mistake, right? But these people don't want it. They're too risk-averse, right? But you can't be a risk-averse league operations person. That's impossible. Oh, no, exactly. Yeah, I agree. By the way, do it, before, obviously, like, at the moment, we've made it fairly, like, meta-contextual and about the comment. One thing I'll do is, first of all, I'll read out Doublelift's for a parody of the tweet. Because, again, look, he doesn't always land. But this one, this is pretty fucking good. This was some this was some quality material. I'd give this a solid four out of five stars. Basically, you remember the tweet that was on the screen that we saw, right? Doublelift did a parody tweet, and he just said, The narrative has gotten out of hand. No one on the team was against Reggie's house selling. In fact, when he first told us after zero to four, we all agreed. Because obviously Reginald did that tweet where he said he'd never let the team become like CLG. Now he'd sell his car and his house if that happened, right? Then he says, no player played a part in deciding his asking price. And it was not anything gameplay related. And then here's the real like cherry on the cake. He goes... I wish my only job is to lose games. That's <laughs> like, <laughs> listen, if it was all about just the last slide double, if you did, you nailed the landing in it. That was, that was very legit. I, li I like that. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. By the way, by the way, Thor, can we talk about how... They just lose every fucking game, don't they? Give me a break. It's so, it's so dark, Mick. Come can, on. Can, can, we, can we talk about... I, I, want, I want your take on this, Thor. So pick one of these two options. Is TSM so incompetently run that they took the MVP of last split and then made the team so bad that they have now nearly lost every single game? Or is the MVP test in LCS eye test completely fucking busted and we keep getting Svenskeren who's immediately benched for Blabber or Spika who is now on a last place team? Like what is, what is going on with the MVP over there? What's your take? Here's the problem. Right, if I think about it already, I'm starting to get a bit nervous now, Monty, because you notice the MVPs you've listed is like Svenskeren won, Spicker won, like Blabbers wanted. There's a lot of fucking junglers winning exactly, the MVP. Right. And I will say this. I have always thought in league, I always thought this is a general trend, but it's actually particularly watching the ERLs in Europe and then watching people go to LEC. Dude, jungle is the most misleading role if you're on the best team, in my opinion. As in, the jungler on the best team, just it's not even that it doesn't mean you're not good. It's, I think everything gets boosted through the roof. Like, it's the reason why, like, Inspired looked so insane on roll. Yeah, like, three winning lanes all the time. And he's fucking farming. Like, what do you expect? Yeah, he's going to be up in CS. He's going to be, like, knowing the path of the other guy. He's not even trying to gank half the time. Like, yeah, there's a million metrics that you can sort of trick, I think, for League in that sense. So the problem is, I do think it was a legit actual MVP pick. Like, if you look at the time in the regular split, remember, the award's only for regular season. In the regular split, TSM was the number one ranked team. And then when you looked at all the players, Spicker was only the, the only real one you could say was, like, the best at his role, right? Right? So in my opinion, they just sort of inferred it. And then you look, who else were you going to pick, right? Like 100 Thieves sort of were like up and down. EG sort of fell off. Like C9 and TL were fucking around with the rosters. So I think that was one where it's like, I sort of, here's the thing. I do think if I had like, if I had a gun against my head, I probably would say Speaker was the MVP. Like I said, if I just work through the logic. But, it, but put it this way, I don't think it was an example where it was like, 
like there's times when like Bjergsen or Dobrev is one where like they were like far away the best player in the league or like an incredible like you could just see the eye test was like he has to be the MVP. I don't know that it was like that. I do think though if I had to answer the question, it's probably number one. It's probably that it's just incompetence with how they GM the squad because here's what I don't get. Right over in Europe, people might know I've sort of been calling the death of Fnatic, and actually it turns out I've been presumptuous. Like I thought they were going to die out when they went to the Nemesis self-made one because I knew there was going to be roster like fucking complications there. Then I thought when they lost those players and they had to do the team with whip or roll swap I thought oh, is this the end like mate if you roll swap instead of getting a real player like maybe it's the end but somehow they've obviously in this last off season done an amazing job with GM and they've got like the best team on paper so whereas actually I've been waiting for Fnatic to die out dude this looks like TSM is dead it looks like the org is dead in League of Legends because I refuse to believe, mate, that these were the best players you could get this offseason. I don't even buy this whole angle they have of, like, they scouted these players. There are better players that they could have scouted even. Like, this just doesn't make sense. Like, this almost looks like someone at the la at the 11th hour put this roster together and they just got whoever was available. Like, it doesn't... Because it, it doesn't make sense on either level, Monty. It doesn't make sense in terms of money. They could easily offer the money to get really good talents that are, like, up-and-coming talents in Europe, in China, in Korea. Or they can just get Jensen... Of course. <laughs> yeah, they could also get established players that are available now to this day that would join potentially tomorrow. Like, uh, something's weird about this whole thing. I even thought that was the weirdest part about what you've just referenced there with Jensen is as soon as... This is where Reginald isn't smart, is the second Bjergsen tells me I'm leaving, and by the way, I'm going to Team Liquid, that's where I go. So if I was to announce Jensen instead... Then I get like the whole narrative that we've got Team Liquid's old mid laner. By the way, spoiler, Jensen would be better right now than Bjergsen. I don't know if people have been watching those fucking games. Bjergsen isn't tearing it up right now as a mid laner. Dude, you would, it would be in the way to immediately sort of like check the move, as it were, in the chess sense. You know, it's like, right, you do your move, Bjergsen's Team Liquid. I'll take Jensen in the TSM then. But they didn't do any of that. And, and that's, that's why to me it has to be a GM failure, dude, because there's no upside to this team. Like, you can't go with the angle of either these are like the hot new prospects that everyone was after, or these are big names, or this is like a big name. It's got it's nothing. There's, I don't, aside from the idea that someone knows so much about like second and third tier Chinese League of Legends that they secretly found the next talents, which essentially all you're doing there, by the way, is a bad Chinese knockoff of what LS has just done for Cloud9, you idiots. You've actually just like thematically fit the region, but not in terms of like a good story. Because there is no good story to this team. You know what I mean? Like, at least sell me what the vision of the team was because yeah. there's another thing they also because Reginald is the one year he hasn't been front facing because of all the shit he's going through it, they also have done a terrible job in that sense like think about it right if if something happens in cloud nine Jack or Steve Arnsett are going to appear on camera at some point explaining their version of the reasons why they did it. We don't actually get any info about this TSM team. That's probably, that's probably the most frustrating part. I can't tell. I think just, just here's what I need to tell. I'll flip it back to you, Monty. My vibe goes like this. Did TSM actually choose these players? So I'll give you an example. Based on all the info I have, it's actually true that G2 could have had a way better AD carry than they have now, but they purposely wanted the Targamas guy and they thought that this particular bot lane was so worth it. They even said to me, essentially, we're willing to gamble the idea people will think this was the best person we could get because we think it's sort of like the sleeper opening, like it'll work out, it's the better move. Do you think they genuinely thought these were the best players? Or do you think, this is what it sounds crazy to say, but do you think no one wants to join TSM anymore? I get the vibe, like the second part's not as crazy as it once would have sounded, you know? So I think that, so Lena in, in some Twitch chats revealed that she wanted to like bring, bring Jensen and double lift onto the roster. Um, and that, that vision appears, although Parth hasn't said it, 
th- that vision appears to have been signed off on by Parth as well. So I think that that was the the roster that they wanted. Now, from from what I understand, from my information behind the scenes, uh, because what Lena said was it was true that what was true is that Reggie didn't think that there was the value there in spending that much money. Now, from what I have heard from other sources, then guy who just paid that massive bag to sort out last year. So oh, this guy is such a moron. It is, it is hilarious. It is hilarious. But I mean, to be fair, maybe he learned from his mistake. That's you know. <laughs> no, listen, I'm definitely not going to give him that concession, Monty. I have to see that proven before I believe that. Okay, so, fair enough. So anyway, um, it's it, I have heard behind the scenes that from other people uh, that TSM did not want to spend a lot of money this year, and I heard that while this was happening, they, like late last year, basically. Um, because they didn't see the value. And remember that this all comes from the fact that the FTX deal, they can't call themselves TSM FTX in uh, LCS. They have to just call themselves TSM. Even though FTX sponsors the league, Riot will not allow naming rights for crypto, even though they spam FTX. Whole thing is just fucking weird, frankly. Uh, Like either don't allow crypto or do, just pick one. Uh, So anyway, they can't do that. Uh, So... Because the value of the FTX deal is not in League of Legends because of the restrictions placed on the sponsorship, what you guys will not know is the following information, which is that many of these crypto exchanges, when they have been talking to teams, okay, and I know this from my conversations with team owners, have directly said that they want rosters in Valve games, whether that's Counter-Strike or Dota, as a condition of crypto exchange sponsorship. because there are no restrictions on the kind of marketing that they can do in those Valve games. By so, the way, that actually checks out as well, because even though it didn't actually end up happening with the Brazilian Last Dance one that I told you about before, it has been rumored that maybe TSM comes back in a CSGO for a while now. So I wonder if that's actually yep. like... And, and, same, and guess where they just co- came back, Thorne? Similar they're rumor in, they're in that Dota. might come back in. Yeah, I mean, these would all make sense then. Yeah. Yep, TSM picked up a Dota roster uh, relatively recently, which is, you know, another indication. So I think that part of it is that the the value of the crypto sponsorship as much as it is again we've been over this before part of this is definitely because of TSM's advertising capacity on their their websites but part of this is also that they have been picking up new rosters i imagine they will pick up a counter strike roster at some point in time i think why they picked up a dota roster first is because the counter strike fan base doesn't like TSM very much true because of what they did to the astralis roster before they were astralis so i think the cs even the pea shit if you remember that kind of like left people yeah they sided with the players on that one yeah so i think i think many people in the counter strike world have a sour taste in their mouth about yes. TSM but it's probably you know, it's like five years past that right now. So probably if you spend a really good team, really they'd forget it. They'd forgive you if the team was good enough, put it out with. Yeah. Anyway, so this is all to say that I think there are reasons why they wouldn't want to spend money in League of Legends okay. based on this deal, which are legitimate reasons. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I had heard that before, but also there were a bunch of kind of like up and coming Chinese players that were tied to this. We know that they did these tryouts in the boot camp. So they they legitimately believed that these were the best players that they could get in terms of bang for buck. Um, I think if they wanted some larger name Chinese players, it may have been difficult to convince them to come over based on the roster that they have. Because when you look at the pieces they had, I mean, the pieces were Spica and Huni. I mean, that's not that's not a honeypot, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> no, nobody's really, you know, Spica's good, but it's not it's not like 
oh, I get to play with Core JJ, right? It's yeah. The it's problem not if you don't get level it. of attraction. Is this is where Monty, your now infamous statement that you can't always take it face value what Koreans, but I'd extend it and say Asian professional League of Legends players say because they actively pander to the Western audience. So I'm sorry to inform people, but in the modern day, especially by the way, in the modern day with no double, if no. There's no motherfucking pro player from LCK or LPL who gives a flying fuck about LCS. They're not watching it. If they even did, by the way, best case scenario, they're watching when like Cloud9 plays Team Liquid. That's it. Yep. They're not watching. Like, basically, the joke would be any new school person won't even know who Hooney is. Remember, dude, he hasn't been a Worlds in ages. And then if you're not new school, forget about that. Like, no one knows who the fuck Speak is. Like, to them, he's the guy who went 0 6 at Worlds. That's it. They don't know him beyond that, mate. They don't know him from Adam. They don't know, like, they don't, oh, you mean the MVP of us? They wouldn't know that, mate. They wouldn't know that in a million years. So I agree. Unfortunately, there's there's no name power, a star power to draw you over. There isn't. Like, as you say, you've got to almost use, like, the difference is, the reason Cordia J is a mega one, it's because they know he won Worlds. <laughs> he won Worlds, for fuck's sake. And he's been went back to, like, every world since. So I'm with you, mate. The problem they have is, it's like I've been talking about, there is currently no reason left to join TSM. They won't pay you the most. They don't have any big names left. I'm sorry, Spicket is not a big name. Hooney is not a big name anymore. We're talking Double if Jensen, like, big name level. And then thirdly, there's not even, like, the whole angle of, like, oh, but I'm going to play with, like, sick team. There's not, you're not playing with famous teammates for loads of money or with really good up-and-coming teammates. Like, at the moment, like... All trust is lost in this institution. It's why I really wonder, like, I'm glad you gave that info there because I know there are some competent people within TSM, or at least there were in the past. So that's why I didn't understand how they got this roster in the end. I thought even they'd trip over and get some decent players, mate. Like, obviously, there was a whole story of people remember where they were supposed to have fucking Mickey X, and I heard they were going to get both the big, like, I heard they were going to get Nip Nisky as well. Like, obviously, these were guys who were, funny enough, funny Nisky's still available right now, for fuck's sake, but he's just done appearing on core streams. So they could have had a way better roster than this. Almost every roster I've heard that they were going to put together was better than this. I mean, the thing is, they can still make a pivot, right? It's not like well, Jensen no isn't to. available. Yeah. It's not like Niski isn't available. You know, the fact that Mickey X went unsigned as long as he did was kind of crazy in and of itself. But I think that the turnover this org has had, they're, they're bringing in new people to operate these teams. They, they're bringing, it seems like they're bringing people who are remote on site now. It seems like, you know, people are leaving. Two, two of the most important people, which were Lena and Parth to the League of Legends team, have left very recently. So, and Reggie, I would imagine, as we've talked about on earlier shows, during over the course of this investigation, considering that the, the Players Association itself is involved, what the, one of the preconditions of the, in, the independent riot investigation has to be that he cannot communicate with the League of Legends team. He has to recuse himself. Now, I don't know that for sure, but there isn't, I can't imagine a world where that's not true. Um, it really seems suspicious that he hasn't said anything. Like, but he's not really the sort of guy who can handle it. He can't restrain himself normally. He can't. I'll say this as well, by the way. The joke is this. Look, if I wanted, like, the prestige value, the narrative, like I said, even a great player who's still good at Worlds, I would have signed Jensen personally. But even if you didn't, Monty, right, this is where I really wonder about the vision of TSM. Because I actually don't think, sadly, that TSM truly ever got the idea that, like, we're playing the villain part in wrestling here and we're supposed to say, fuck everyone. I think they just were a bunch of douchebags led by a cunt who just was so obnoxious. You guys then just went, no, no, he's actually a genius. And it's like 5D Jenga and he tried to make 
make me mad. So he didn't. Once you know, wishes he was loved, you morons. He's just really bad at it because guess what? He's a fucking idiot who's not a great guy. So here's what I would have done. Personally, if you want the thematic, like this guy has to join if you give him the offer, and more importantly, he would just fit your current team perfectly. It's Jazuki, mate. The guy already is quite well loved. Plays a really entertaining style, win or lose, and he trash talks already. He's he's tailor made to be the villain for fuck's sake. I would bring Zuki. That's the signing I would do, dude. Like that that transforms this into like must watch League of Legends tomorrow. I I, I have to I have to say the combo of Huni Huni and Jazuki on the oh, same hilarious, team, wouldn't it? The level yeah. of coin flip would be so insane yeah, that I would probably be entertaining watching. It'd be entertaining as fuck. <laughs> what are you talking about? Exactly, exactly. And that, by the way, a if, hell we, of a combo. if we have Huni and Jazuki. The bot lane can just chill now, mate. They don't need to worry about anything. Like at this point in time, you're just on like fucking Prager real estate. So somebody just chill, Orby. Just chill. Get to that team fight with one item. That's all I ask. You know, it would be hilarious to have those two players on one roster together. That that would be great. <laughs> I mean, so by the way, what's, fu- what's funny is that they were on the same team. They just didn't play together. <laughs> I will also say, like. Here's the other question before we wrap this up, because we'll go to the Nightmare one soon. But I'll, here's what I'll ask is this, right? From the first games you've watched, Monty, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I watched a bunch of these games when I saw, especially when I saw how much TSM was losing, man, and how bad some of the fucking drafts were. And I watched, because I wanted to, I didn't want to, like, have false hope. Like, if I actually watched the games, Monty, and then the eye test was like, actually, these are close losses. And, you know, if they did just draft a different champion there, they would have won. Then it'd be like, they'll probably turn it around. You know, remember, LCS is mad forgiving. So it's like, they could probably make the last playoff spot. Dude, after watching some of these games, it ain't going to even end, guys. Like, the pain is going to continue. This team is no joke. If they're not literally the last place team, they're going to be second to last place at the end of this play. Like, I don't see how this turns around. This looks really depressing. The funny thing, Thorin, is uh, a point Dom made uh, on, on our show, The Jungle, was was an accurate one, which is that the way they were winning or attempting to win, the one game they won was due to them playing like Enchanter top, like cheese meta, basically. And if they're practicing that, that's going to go away soon. It's not going to be sure. possible to play that anymore. So basically, they were all inning last week on a week uh, on these strategies that are going away. So they're not even learning how to play the real game properly. So it's only going to make them lose worse in the long run, which is true. Yeah, indeed. And then also I'll add that in as well. The more part people never mention as well as this part, Monty is like, I still don't... This is so weird to me, dude. Why did they sign Choi as their coach? Have I missed something? I feel like I just woke up and it's like people just... I mean, like a fucking... This is like one of the bad David Lynch movies, Monty, where stuff just happens and you're like, I don't really understand why that... What What's going on right now? Who is that character like? It's like fucking Inland Empire or something. Why is he the coach of TSM? Have I missed something? If people don't know, the storyline of Choi is a really interesting story. If you're like a G-Bay guy making a documentary about like the beginning of League of Legends seven years ago, like how's he even relevant now? Like what what is this signing? Like am I missing something? Normally the coach is like the focal point, like the lightning rod for uh, credit, abuse, criticism. Like no one even mentions him, dude. It's like I had to look it up to remember he was even the coach of the team. Like what what's going on? Have the lunatics taken over the asylum? What's going on, Reginald? So I think I think this is like the whole construction of this roster is just like the scuffed you know, we have exit home meme because, right. you know, Chawi's like, oh, yeah, he's part of that, you know, legacy of uh, Southeast Asian players. He's been 
coaching the Hong Kong attitude, right? And he's like, he speaks Chinese. He can talk to all these other like Southeast Asian coaches that are running some of the best teams in the world. He's part of like, I mean, he's Singaporean, I believe, but you know, he, he can, he can talk with like the, the Taiwanese gang that, that secretly, you know, the Taiwanese yes. Illuminati that runs all yes. the best teams in the world. But it's like, he's not, that he he was never oh, part wait. Of... you mean you think the meme is like you know like it's like reginald again reginald in this scenario is the boomer industrialist who just sits in the boardroom and he goes oh i've heard about this lms illuminati monty who are running <laughs> yeah. the coaching game i want that and then they were like oh we've got it at home sir it's like oh excellent yes, and exactly. it says oh but he's got choy yeah what the fuck and it's like they've even scoffed that he's not even taiwanese he's like, yeah they've scoffed everything <laughs> there you go. that's there what you i'm go. saying yeah and it's like it's like the same thing it's like you know, can we get an L LPL star? It's like we, you know, we have a Chinese star at home, and it's like fucking Kea Duo or something. It's the same shit. It's like the whole roster was like based on this idea of what should happen, but they just ended up with like the mega scuffed version of that thing. I don't know. <laughs> My life. <laughs> we talk about some good League of Legends now. Should we switch to the LEC topic? Uh, sure. Let's get Nightmare on. Yeah, so obviously, we'll. Do, I don't know. Listen, I lied last time. We don't play a whole song. Apparently, we just. It, it depends how quickly we set it up. But now, something will happen. A screen will change. The voices will go off. We will go on a different call. Oh, I've just revealed all the fucking secrets behind the curtain there. Do not pay any attention to the man behind the curtain. And then uh, suddenly, Nymera will appear and we'll be talking about LEC after this break. Right, we're back, and obviously we're joined now by our guest, which is Nymera, who you might know, as I alluded to in the intro, as the guy who was working on the LGL, the Japanese broadcast, which, by the way, is a roundabout way of saying he's the only person we know who speaks English and looks a little bit like Monty in that old photo, and also knows about the fucking Detonation Focus Me, who became vaguely to sort of sort of relevant at international well, tournaments. Slightly relevant. Beyond just the planes, even. That's the key part. Who knew that part would have been true? Beyond the planes. Not entirely, like I will say. It never actually even happened at Worlds, but they almost did. We we could believe for like two days that they were going to do something. Now well, though, we could believe for like thirty minutes against hundred thieves. Yeah, for, for a little while. We've minutes, yeah. Now that also did turn out. I will say technically that did actually turn out to have two of the top three teams in the tournament in the group. Yeah. So obviously not hundred thieves. Then after that, now Nymir is one of those people who just like randomly appears on LEC, and then here's the final detail I'll say, and then every week just apologizes for his performance and says he'll do a better job or something. Apparently you're Korean or something secretly now. Like if we chiffy, he'll show good games. What's it? I want to ask that question first of all. What is this new fucking trend where you're like, you're not a player, you know, mate. Why are you like apologizing for flipping the baron or whatever? Like okay. everyone's allowed to have an update. What's this? What's this angle? Uh, <laughs> Okay, so this is psychoanalyzing how yeah, I got to this point, exactly. effectively. <laughs> so, because, uh, you know, I've effectively been casting for two years pretty much on the dot. Um, okay. and most of that has been effectively been be shit, review something, get better at it. And if I'm not that's doing life, that constantly, man. Day out, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, that, that's typically just the mindset I've got myself into. And uh, part of it's also, you know, just kind of like playing the social game too, because a lot of people will jump on people being like particularly arrogant in my position. And I'm not right, not quite ready enough to do that. We'll give it a couple of months, then we might flip the switch. We'll see what happens. But okay, yeah. For now, um, for now, it's it's kind of you know enjoying enjoying what I'm doing and. Um, being proud of what I'm achieving because you know I am like as much as as much as I am being humble about it I'm 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 fucking pretty happy with what I'm doing uh um, no yeah but also uh taking the chance to be like okay what am I going to do next time how am I going to step that up because uh you know this is obviously not the ceiling I want to find myself I want to go beyond that but yes that is a relevant point to bring up okay. 
I've been thinking about it. I'll get back right. to you on it. <laughs> All I'll say is, look, like, if people don't know, even Monty, whose entire identity in League obviously was like, he's supposed to be the guy who's the know-it-all and he knows better than you about the Koreans. Even Monty, believe it or not, had his years where when he was coming up from Overwatch, there was the transition period back. He wasn't always as confident in himself in the role. I will say, I found that, that almost like shook me a bit. It's like that fucking, it's like the shit Austin Powers where he loses his mojo. Like, what the fuck? Just just, just tell him that the Korean's going to win and say, LCS, you shit, Monty, you know the script. Get on with it. Well, but, you know, I thought like, you have to get that sort of mojo built back up again. I get it. Fair enough. It, it was it was hard, uh, you know, operating a league while still being involved in trying Oof. to understand League of Legends after being sure. away for a while. It's all right. We're back on the horse now. We're good. And also, to be fair, <laughs> one thing people never gave you credit for, Monty, is like I joke about the old episodes of Summon Insight were very like sort of like surface level about other regions. You could get away with that back then. Like back then, there were no LPL experts. So the joke is you could watch like three LPL games and go, wow, this PDD guy seems good on Jackson. And you were like now the biggest expert ever on the LPL in the you know in the modern day you try throwing opinions out like that and the motherfuckers who do forty games a week will tear you up. Well, but I mean the thing about it is LEC, that... though, but like particularly with LEC because it's been such a high profile project for such a long time, I can't come in and say I know all of this shit which has happened even as like right. a casual here. Um, like I'm very wary to not pretend to be something I'm not in terms of like the hyper LEC expert and stuff. Now I'm on game knowledge and shit. Yeah, sure, I'm gonna come up and talk to you about Ari when she's finally picked and then goes. And loses as 9-0 Rogue versus 0-9 Astralis. But, you know, there are some areas which I'm going to stand my ground on, but when it comes to, like, the LEC narratives, which is such a big part of it, I need to give a little bit of ground just to, like, not, uh, you know, uh, taint the hallowed ground, which is the LEC and what they've, they've, they've kind of built up over a couple of years. That's the angle I've been going with anyway. Well, I, th I think that's smart just because one thing LEC has done very well is really cultivate the narratives and you just have to have people who really know them inside and out in order to do justice to them. And I think they're among, if not the very best in the world in any esport at doing that right now. They build players really and teams great. as products and it's, it's yeah, it's, it's really been successful for them. And it's really cool to see how they're doing that behind the scenes too, in terms of the conversations they have to build a show. Yeah. Right, let's yeah. do this. Like, obviously, since Nymera has been appearing infrequently, but in a way consistently infrequently on the LEC broadcast, obviously, we're going to talk mainly about LEC slash European yep. League of Legends. But we thought, because we were going to talk about this anyway on the first segment, so we asked if he'd watched. We wanted to talk a little bit, though, about LCK in the context that right now, obviously, T1 is on in some incredible win streak. They've had all these great performances, even spoiler. This year, you actually can say Faker looks really good. He's actually sort of got his shit back together again. And so it even ties in. We'll talk about T1 in in general, but you alluded to it there, Nymera. Right at the mm. moment, an interesting discussion I've noticed a lot of the analysts are talking about is this: should Ari essentially be a priority or be even picked at all at mid lane? And if people don't know, one of the reasons why is because, as you mentioned, the game that cost Rogue their own chance at a perfect season was obviously when they did. I think it was even a blind pick Ari or something. Like they did a it's ridiculous blind pick, pick, basically. Hold, hold up, hold up. Uh, yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah, I, I think like it's important to talk about the way in which like. First up, Nymir is much more of an Ari expert than I am. Um, he is the, the the king of Ari. He sleeps with an Ari body pillow. I've seen Ari in the background of his other house. The key thing is, it was obviously a key like like pocket pick for um, yep. fucking Aria from... Detonation Forks, even when it wasn't in the meta. I mean, spoiler, it might not be in the meta yet. I don't know how this conversation goes. Right. 
Well, okay, I, actually, but, I, actually, I'm fairly sure Ari didn't. Aria didn't play it up until just this split. Actually, he's oh, okay. played a lot of Zoe and LeBlanc, but but yeah, as much as I love to see him play it, um, it's not something he did that much. But yeah, a couple oh, of players have played a bit more. So I think we have to set the groundwork because Ari is increasingly being seen as a blind pick. We saw Faker blind pick it over in the LCK and do very well with it, which I know you enjoyed seeing, and we'll get into the reasons yeah. behind that. But I think what's important to talk about first is why. Ari is a, is a blind pick because many people are, are seeing her with the new kit for the first time in a while and talk about some of the changes that happened. So first off, just to quickly go over them, uh, her passive was changed so that you get more reliable healing now based off of CSing and champion damage. You disagree with reliable as opposed to the, the comeback uh, on the queue? So there was a thing there was a thing that you used to do on the old passive where it was on spell hits where you could get a really nice because uh, you were trading with W level one. You could get three uh -huh. W's out at level one, kill the first minion in the second wave, hit level two, and then get like a really big heal off your first Q. Okay. Um so there were some things in early lane which was slightly better for old Ari, but on the whole and particularly in team fights with the other changes, it's, yes. it's much more reliable, yeah. So you do get you do get some healing back off of the takedowns now, right? Off the passive as well, yep. champion takedowns, as well as every nine minions you kill, right? You get a chunk of healing back. So it now comes off of uh, last hitting on the wave. So the Q was obviously changed to increase, all of her skills basically increase damage yep. uh, because you lose the damage amp on the charm. And so the other thing that's very important is a lot of her skills were also decreased in terms of their mana cost, making spammability much better. She has better mobility. She has another half second of move speed, I believe, on her W. Yeah, it's two and a half seconds W now, yeah. Yeah, but significantly cheaper mana cost. It went from, what, like it's 40 45 to, 20, to 25. 25. It's yeah. actually really big in laning phase. Yeah, so it, it allows her to deal a lot more damage in the laning phase. Um, she has more mobility, which makes her more elusive. She's pretty safe into most matchups, as well as having up to eight dashes now potentially in the team fight if you get really lucky and get five takedowns so she has a high level of mobility um obviously that's unlikely i would say to happen um but you're probably going to get a couple extra dash charges so why is it everything i hear about riot, riot when they're making a champion dashes, it's, it's like that fucking, it's, that like that, like. it's like the meme where the matthew mcconaughey guys like we're going to pop those rookie numbers up it's like oh only only five dashes in a team like give me only three break, what about eight oh. <laughs> i'm just hearing that thinking of myself back in the day yeah. when i used to play lady carry like fuck you know what is this shit? <laughs> yeah you're gonna get a lot of dashes basically <laughs> plus she, she synergizes very well with with everfrost to provide more cc you're not reliant on hitting your charm anymore to actually do damage uh which is huge you're not running out as mana of mana as of mana as frequently so that's that's my that's my spiel on the changes that were made to ari now i defer to you nymira because you're the far bigger expert on you know wh what we're seeing in the meta and how ari should be played versus how she is being played this will, why does yeah. it lose every fucking game? Oh, for God's sake. Except for Faker players, I'll give you that one. Yes, everyone true. is really uncoordinated, and also, and uh, so part of it is actually comes around to this Everfrost thing because actually, I'm an Everfrost hater. I actually hate the item on Ari. If you're like 90% of the teams out there, because like you're diving in, you're trying to get the first kill, and you have zero damage because you built like cooldown boots and Everfrost and a Cosmic Drive. So. Um, the big thing about the changes for me, outside of like laning matchups, which gets obviously that's very um, individual matchupy, is what used to be one-way trips, trips because you'd use two or three ult charges and all of your burst onto one target. Now you get a heal, 
and you get an extra dash out. So you can dive in, get a priority target, and get out. Now, because you you synergize very well with stuff like Java and Jinzao Lee Sin, that can get you rolling early, so you can start snowballing, and also dive into the team fight and help you finish off the first target, and Hecarim is also not a bad combo with this too, which is another jungler that's coming in. You're likely to get in, get the first kill, get out with the extra charge, or snowball the fight with that. And why teams are failing with it comes down to two things. Um, one is that, uh, again, it's kind of a build thing where sometimes the RE is trying to be the main damage source and they're just not because they haven't built damage. They haven't gone for something like Ludens. And um, you can often like get a Dark Seal as the first back item instead of going towards the Lost Chapter if you don't have the gold for it. You can start snowballing into Magi stacks. Not many teams do that, even though you're actually... As as we said, we kind of. He's a good, be great champion up. for that, right? Yeah, yeah. You're one of the best champions of the game at actually getting kills and surviving with the stacks. Given yeah, all exactly. the changes, actually everything goes towards that. Even like your W move speed being being more good as well. You're good at getting in and getting out. Um, so partly it is. You also have the free triumph rune basically now. All of that. Yeah, exactly. Passive. All of that shit. Um, and then the other thing is that teams are just not brave. They're just not willing to use Ari's HP as a resource. The one person and the one team that is is T1. Because I, I'm trying to think back to, I think it was the HLE series, maybe the, the, the game yes. which they won on Ari without. Like Faker was continually flashing in, uh, continually dashing in and kind of setting up the pick, even though they, they're into a naught list and they knew they're going to be like, oh, well, whatever, you're going to get hooked. You might, you might end up dying for that. I'm trying to remember if that's the right game anyway. Anyway, it was one of those games um, where effectively you can use uh, the RE to be just very, very aggressive, be very brave with your HP, dash in and, and set things up. Now, obviously Faker is going for the full setup um, build as well with cooldown boots with the Everfrost. You do go into Shadow Flame seconds. So you have some magic pen in there, which is um, obviously very nice, and you get the extra HP from it from the item in general. Uh, but the only reason I like T1 doing this is because they always have something like an Ophelia Assault flying in over the top of it. They have Ona really nearby with a champion that can follow up too. And T1 has the right mindset as a team to kind of play around these picks. Obviously, a lot of vision came, game comes into it. A lot of it comes into positioning. But on the whole, it's just a whole mindset thing about actually not just sitting back and being, oh, I'm a safe blind pick. I'll just wave clear and stuff. It's actually, no, push up, look for the first pick and, and roll through that. And it really frustrates me seeing so many teams just sit back and just being like, I'm farming safely. It'll be fine. Like That just really annoys me about this pick. Uh, I, so to be clear, in the Hama Life game, uh, they were playing into Tom Kench and Akali and Jin Zhao, so it was actually really safe to play Ari into that overall? Uh, I'm trying to remember which game it was. It might have actually been the game two, which they lost against Nongshim, but he was such a good... Um, he was playing really well into it. Yeah, it was actually one of the games they lost, but he was doing really well in that. But um, either way, it, 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 the mindset is still there in terms of like going in as the first pick, kind of... Knowing that you're going to get shut down, but your team is going to be there behind you to kind of roll over the fight anyway, and you've already locked down the first pick, which I, I really appreciate from T1. Um, and I think the coordination really shows in in a lot of those fights. What about then as a, a, a let's talk about T1 as a team mm. in that sense. So obviously at the moment they're on this like near unprecedented run. They haven't lost a game. They've even beaten obviously the main rivals in Gen G in the first round robin. We're in the second round robin now if people don't know. These are all best of three series it goes out saying so this is the other thing as well. I think that's the most underplayed part of this run so far. Is even when people hear Namir like 21 and 0 they go like well for that when it's yeah best of ones uh, in the LEC you fuck what are you talking about like there's like two teams could even well. maybe beat them back there. yeah exactly these are best of threes guys so on the one hand look if you actually are the best team in theory best of three also means you can 
lose a game and win the series. But winning all those best of three series, that's fucking really hard to do. If people don't watch the LPL, in the LPL, sometimes even the best teams just trip over and lose to like the third to last didn't, didn't team LNG randomly. just go like undefeated and then lose three series off back? Oh, happens pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So to me, this, this is some epic shit. So let's get into it then. What have you thought of this T1 team? Because obviously people don't know, it effectively is the T1 team you saw last year. It's just they actually removed the other parts of the roster and they've just committed to this team now. Oh gosh! There so, are so, so to be to be fair, I I think that winning all those best of threes is actually less impressive than winning all those best of ones because there's the opportunity to correct for mistakes, yep. and it's not like Team One hasn't dropped a bunch of games. So I I just because I don't know it's it's how you take it. Like certainly BA ones are more coin flippy, so you have to like get lucky a couple of times. Whereas like I think in most best of threes, the better team is going to come out on top uh, overall, right? It's it's more likely that that happens. So what so, what you consider more difficult, right? Um, is I would say a is, per grab. The caveat is that if you've got two teams you're facing in a week and you have to prep for both of them, one of them is a stronger team, one of them is a weaker team. In the LCK, the level of teams is going to be that even the weaker teams, if you're not prepping for them, can really trip you up. And you don't have back to back days of games, though. That's the thing. Okay, not back to back, but yeah. I mean, in in terms of like just in terms of prepping for different teams and and best of best of threes, I I think that there are the level of teams in the LCK. Typically, you're like you're more likely to get tipped um, like tripped up by a lower tier team that has really hard prep for you um than in say like i don't know 2015 lec or, um, eu lcs or whatever that that was it was a very different landscape back then i mean the the average level of the lck um mechanically is very high comparative to back then so yeah i, I definitely agree with the best one point in terms i mean look at the upsets in in worlds and stuff like that right one of the big um one of the big arguments against best of one double round robin group stage in worlds is actually you're not actually getting the correct results because the better teams are losing to random games now that can happen in best of one formats too, but uh, in regular seasons. But in terms of the best of three side of things, I still think it is very impressive that SKT, sorry, T1 have um, managed to keep up this streak. Even although there is the caveat of the COVID stuff. Yeah, the, the Gen G match it, wasn't really mm. what we wanted to see, right? Yeah. Because there were players out in that match, so there are. It's kind of like a fraudulent perfect run, but also Asterisk. T1 are super good, so. There's an asterisk, sadly. As much as this is a great run, can it be like greatest of all time run? There's always going to be an asterisk next to that, which is really sad because I feel like this is a team which could have done that even even with um, all of those things kind of. There's in, still but... a chance if you go undefeated on the whole season. Maybe that makes up for it. Oh, that'd be crazy. Yeah, maybe go and undefeated. Also, MSI. guess what? It's a perfect time to talk about this because on Thursday we get the T T1 Gen G rematch. So it's it's a great time to have this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think of them as a team, anyway, in general? As a team, um, I think they are so much more uh, stable as a team. I mean, we particularly going through their Worlds run with Kana. Kana was... I think we saw, like, the, the, the upper ceiling of his play when he was playing with a lead, and sometimes... I mean, I'm thinking of... I think there was a Cannon game versus Down 1 where he was super far ahead, and he just, just couldn't do anything with it. He just struggled to find the angles. I think that um, Zeus has been really solid. He plays everything that the team needs him to. to um, he's very responsible with his leads. Um, and then obviously the meta for bot lane has been so incredible for this team because Gimme UC on the Jinx and the Aphelos is just absurdly good. Yep. And the fact that there's actually quite a lot of open support picks too between Enchanters and Engage, I can't think of a better player to give support random options to than Carrier. Um, so there's a lot of things working out for this team. I'd be interested to see what happens to them when Jinx of Felios inevitably falls out of meta, because that's there's, I don't see a way that that meta lasts the whole season. That it's going to get nuked at some points. 
But um, as the meta stands right now, they are very on the same page. They understand uh, like the, the fights that they want to take. And that's something which a lot of teams have struggled with worldwide in terms of we should just fight now without really understanding why. I think T1 typically have done a bit better on that. And they've shown that clutch factor through that understanding, which is really separate them from being like a good team to like a really, really great team. Do you yeah. think, uh, I want to get you the thoughts of both of mm -hmm. you, so maybe Monty, you can do this first. What do you think about the fact that, like, one of the first things I actually thought when they announced those teleport changes is, like, this is an example of a team where it's, like, the bot lane of fucking T1 on paper is primed to take advantage of that, that you can't mm -hmm. just teleport early on with all these fucking god-tier mid laners with a million dashes. You can't just go with the bot lane and gangbang the guy anymore. Now you actually have to have some real 2v2 lanes. Like, they're, <laughs> obviously, they on paper have arguably one of the best bot lanes in the whole world. Yeah, and they're playing through it. I think if you, if the way, T1 has a very specific way of playing right now, which is extremely effective in this meta. If you, so let's contrast this. If you guys haven't been watching T1 compared to what we saw T1 doing at Worlds. Um, so what was happening at Worlds, and I think there are several reasons probably why they're doing this. The meta of is one of those reasons. But they also had a bunch of rookie players last year, right? Like they were yeah. dealing with a bunch of new players. Um, they were kind of, acclimating them over time you have to remember they went through a massive coaching change they ran for half of last year they ran that incredibly stupid like 10 player roster uh they fired the coaches by the way faker is still the coach of this team in case anybody was curious about that it's not pult i'll tell you that it ain't pult guys so what happened was they fired the coaches faker basically became a player coach he is still as i understand it from talking to people uh in korea that he is basically still the coach of that team um and so you know, he has additional responsibilities. Now, how did this manifest? It manifested in him playing like counter matchups, uh, very low economy style that we saw at Worlds. Nice. We had a conversation. Is Faker the worst mid laner on a Korean team? Answer was probably yes, especially when it came to mechanics. But what he was doing was enabling the side lanes, especially the bot lane, super well. He would play Lissandra into LeBlanc, and then he would just walk all over the map and go kill people in the bot lane as LeBlanc, or as uh, Lissandra, rather. And he was playing really well. So it wasn't an issue. It was just he was playing a different kind of style. So let's fast forward to now. Faker looks much more in shape mechanically. His team is playing around him very very well, and he is being left on his own more. So there's a big difference. Um, let's actually pull up the world stats. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously stats in League of Legends are can be questionable. Like, I, I don't want to do topic. this. Yeah, I don't want to do this spiel every time, but they also can be very useful for certain things. But if we look, and especially with uh, regions that have higher sample sizes, uh, like LCK and LPL, one of the things that's going on right now with T1 overall is that Faker actually does not have a very high kill participation, which is different than what was happening at Worlds, right? Uh, as far as kill participation goes, he's actually, what, second, uh, second lowest uh, compared to BDD, actually, within the league, at only 61% of KP currently within LCK this split. Um, now, who has a much higher kill participation, interestingly, is Gumayushi. And so if you it's watch... It's fights around Gumayushi. Yeah. It, and also, they rotate around him. They'll get him out of the bot lane early. They'll move him up to Herald. We talked about this trend in Korea before Worlds with an emphasis on first Herald in these rotations. Um, they've been playing more with their jungler owner around the bottom lane. And they've been basically, you know, force-feeding Gumayushi a ton of resources. Um, and Faker has been playing much more solo in the side lanes, especially split pushing into the mid and late game. Um, and this is just the way that they want to do things. Like they will put a lot of pressure on the top lane by rotating Karia and Gumiyushi up top early to get Harold 
charges in and Faker's just kind of doing his own thing on the map. Now, the thing where I think T1 is really succeeding is that they are, they're, they're not actually great at playing the lane. Sometimes they make really kind of shitty mistakes in the laning phase. But the thing is, is that when they make a mistake, they will cross map very effectively in order to pick up, they, they will they will force a mistake on the other side of the map from their team. And the other thing they do very well is they set up on objectives early and they set up well and they know their win conditions with their comp around the objective. Now, part of this is, I think as Nymir alluded to, they do not have a wide variety of compositions that they use. And that Gumiyushi has been playing, you know, a lot of Aphilios, a lot of Jinx, a lot of- we're not going to see like the Jin, Jin, Ziggs, Leona stuff out of them. Not, not no. right now. <laughs> not right now. And it's good because they, they want to create pressure bot lane. They want to push the wave. They want to rotate for objectives early. This is what they do. This is how they play the game. It's probably the best way to play the game right now. Um, yeah. Uh, overall. And so they're using the, the champs that are strong. But if you look at what Gumiyushi has played this season, 22 out of his 29 games have been on Aphilios, Jinx, or Caitlyn. Uh, and in his career... Uh, encompassing last year as well, Aphilios and Jinx are... Aphilios, he's played 29 professional games. The next one is Jinx with 12. So, I mean, this is, this is an enormous percentage of his... I will say, if people don't know, because this might be confusing if you didn't follow any of the Asian regions, last year, they still actually would sometimes in the LPL, etc., force Jinx, for example, and they would play it, mm. even though in the West, you know, it was largely, like, just ignored completely by almost everyone. It was still a big pick, though, in the Asian regions. So essentially yeah. the meta is hitting this guy right in his face right now. Yeah. And he was and, really good anyway. <laughs> yeah. Now, now we know that he is good at certain champs that are not meta. Like he's a great Samira player, like really sure. fucking good. Yeah. Um, so, and we've seen like glimpses of this in professional play, but for the most part, you know, he's been kind of riding this meta and well, and he's also had an enormous amount of support from his team in order to ride this meta, which is that, you know, in international competitions, Faker was babysitting him, basically, and sacrificing a huge amount of his own resources in order to do that. And they've now dropped themselves into a meta, whereas Thorin says the TP changes have made it so he can play a lot of these like hyper carry bots or very aggressive lane pushing bots. Um, and the, then he can just free himself up on the map. And as opposed to Faker coming to him, he just goes, walks around the map and takes objectives, sets up on the objectives early. And T1 is real good at playing these objective fights. So it, I think like T1 is a great team right now. I don't think they're without their flaws. And no. I do question how meta independent they are going to be because of how I, it's not necessarily one dimensional because they understand how the pieces of their composition work in each like unique compositional case versus their opponents. So you can tell that they're not just like robotically, you know, running the same kind of team fights because the way they team fight with similar champions changes depending on their synergies and, and their opponents, uh, champions, which is great to see. But at the same time, you're looking at Faker, who's been playing like very meta, like Victor, Corky, LeBlanc, uh, you know, it's, it's not terribly exciting. Is what I will say. What they're, do, what they're doing really well for Faker, because if you think about kind of the evolution of Faker as a player, we had him like popping off in season three, trying to be the mechanical hyper carry still in season four, like making all the, all the crazy assassin plays, but then obviously the team falling apart around him. Then you hit season five through eight, where it's just all teleport, all 
like into big team fights with the, the rise of stuff like Yoriana and your Syndra Azir kind of stuff coming back for so many seasons. This feels to me like the first time where one, he has like a really competent shot caller on his team that's doing their job really well in Carrier. Yep. Um, and also with the TP changes, he can play something which has a bit more room to kind of do its own stunts rather than just kind of be the, the, the cheerleader for the rest of the team. Talking about the obje objective setup, I think one of the really important things which T1 do is give like a good 20 to 30 second window or more to just allow Faker to do something. Just, just hands off, Faker, do something with LeBlanc or Ari. And he's been doing really well with, the, with that window of time to find the unnecessary pick to then start trying to initiate the fight on their terms. And that's that's one of the big pickups I've had about this team. And clearly, I totally agree with you, Nymira. And one of the things that's been so interesting to me to watch about this team is that they will blow major cooldowns to chunk people, like you're saying, mm. 20 or 30 seconds. Like, Korea will do it as well on Lux. Like, he will just go ahead and use Lux Laser to, to send somebody to half HP um, if he can land the bind first and then proc the passive. Because... He knows that then they're going to get priority on the objective and that they're going to, you know, force people into a very uncomfortable situation. And Faker does the exact same thing. So they're really good at getting these incremental advantages that then snowball into major objectives. And the other thing that they're really honestly amazing at doing is their communication must be so fucking good because I watch some of Why these fights. <laughs> I watch some of these fights around objectives and it's like, the way that they're communicating their positions and like NAR rage bar fucking perfectly where they don't start the objective until like right before the NAR rage bar starts, NAR is perfectly in position to zone them out with the threat of the NAR ultimate. And then the objective is just done by the time that the mega NAR ends. It's like, it's flawless. Like it's actually really beautiful to watch if, you, if you're looking for these placements and their communication is so fucking good right now um, around who has their abilities up, how they can zone effectively given the tools that they have, who's getting the poke damage down, who can even die and it doesn't matter uh, as long as they kind of just like strategically int. Um, so, you know, it's really, it's really impressive to watch. By the way, one, as a quick aside, did his name have to be Carrier? Because it's so close to Korea that you're going to have that problem. I'll tell you a quick aside. I once did an interview like that back at you when I worked. I think it was on a Zeske Gaming. I once did an interview with this Korean StarCraft player, and it was through a translator. And I only realized 10 minutes into the interview, oh, this fucking translator guy kept thinking I'm saying the, the name of the country, Korea. And I've been saying Korea, like as in your Korea. And I kept wondering, why am I getting these answers back? Like I was asking him stuff like, so what do you actually think about where you're at in your career right now? And he was just answering stuff like, I'm where I'm sold. from, you know, where else would I want to be? And I was thinking, these are fucking really weird <laughs> philosophical answers. And obviously it's ruined. Was so this, any, I, oh. was this the, the world's first version of like geo, like geo guesser or something like that? Like it wasn't great, was it? So all I'm going to say is we're going to run into that problem with the carrier one. I can already fucking see. And then the other angle is this though. I also think the fact that I'm actually very impressed, especially if, as Monty says, essentially they just let Faker coach the team now. Well, this is a type of SKT we've never seen before. Like, like, even when they essentially did play through Piglet when they had him, it was a, obviously was an AD carry, they still were never like a bot-centric team. Like, that team, he just happened to be one of the people who got carried champions. Like, if you remember, that was a team, if anything, they were fucking kings of the pick comp, weren't they? Like, the idea that they would essentially play, like, Uzi Eye style around an ADC in T1 is such a culture clash to the history of the org. And how is that? Remember, this was a team that played through mid and top the entire history of the org, pretty much. So, I think it's really interesting. 
And also, I think it's really cool personally because there's never been a Korean ADC who was like this. Every other Korean ADC, their dream is to be deft ruler and it's like in theory you're typically trying to be the team fight ADC that's all you try you're not trying to be like an Uzi I forgiven and smashed all in every time what's cool to me is they've got a player who it's, it's totally appropriate to play that way around him like he actually has that sort of mindset for the game so I'm just so fascinated by the fact they've had to sort of like completely pivot what they're doing as an org but it's working like this is what you should do when you have this personnel I, I think there's still a level of danger to it like I think Gumiyushi still positions too aggressively at times like he we're talking at a very high level of play, but like, you know, this last week he was getting like flash rise rooted and like, you, you just can't have that happen. If you're jinx, like that's, you know, you have to know that the rise, the, the rise has flash and like not walk there. Um, and at, at a very high level of league of legends play, those mistakes will cost T1. And I think, you know, people will look at T1 right now and they'll say, wow, you know, this team is, is on a, historic win streak despite caveats that we've brought up and asterisks regarding uh you know some of their most powerful opponents not being able to run their full rosters yet uh but also the way that they play sometimes they they make mistakes in the laning phase which cause them to have to do other things on the map or sometimes they make positional mistakes in team fights um sometimes they can get away with it because one thing that they are good at is knowing like Somebody will play aggressively if they see the jungler. Like Zayas will will all in. But the thing about that is you have to be able to sometimes mechanically outplay people. And like, are you gonna do that against top Chinese teams? I'm not sure that that, you know, trying to make up for mistakes that you've made via mechanical outplay is necessarily it's a felt great like they've plan. had to clutch things a lot. Um yeah. and it's it it's kind of part of that magic of say like summer twenty fifteen SKT when they, they started pulling that off. And that was that was a great part of their roster where actually no matter how far they get behind, they've always got the ability to play themselves out of a pit. Um some of the teams they're doing it against locally probably don't want to be falling behind against uh some of the teams which they have done, but the fact that they have that clutch factor is still it's still good to see that they don't fall apart when they do have deficits against them and Admittedly, there are a lot of mechanics in the game to allow you to come back from big deficits right now. I mean, just have to look at like the, the G2 Misfits game where you give every <laughs> shutdown over to we'll a to an Akali and everything <laughs> with that. And you're just like, oh, well, okay, game's over then. You've given everything to a champion that can't die at this point because they've got a Yumi on them. But uh, it, it's good to know that even with all the mechanics into it, you want to have like this extra gear to shift into because inevitably at international competitions, there are going to be teams that smash you early at some point. There's really sucker punch you and you have to play from that kind of deficit. Yeah, Swans, the, I don't hear any slander like that. Like, if, if you actually essentially miss misposition, but use mechanics to get out of trouble, you could win eight LCS titles, go to an MSI final. Probably wouldn't do great at Worlds. Spoiler: that was double his whole career. So, just double his whole career. <laughs> and guess what? Yes, when he had to face the Asian AD carries every year, he was like, "This is actually a lot harder. I wish I'd sort of been yeah. playing properly before now. Probably not the time to learn how to, you know, position." Yeah, these guys now. got hands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it, I just think it's interesting too because. It shows a shift in the Korean mentality, at the very least, that if something happens somewhere and somebody realizes that they can play aggressive, they will skill check. That is new, frankly, to oh, Korea for sure. over the last few years. Yeah. Like, and it's a good sign that that is, that that is happening. And it's a good sign that players like Zayas are willing to just be like, well, I see everybody bot lane. Time to all in this motherfucker up here on top. Um, my question is, like, should that be necessary? Because 
it is predicated. People will focus on the cool 1v1 that just happened in top and ignore the fact that that 1v1 didn't really have to happen if bot didn't randomly die. Uh, So this is not a team without its flaws. uh, I will say that. Now, if they can get through the laning phase, they become extremely difficult to beat because their macro is so fucking good. Um, So the lane allocation has been like really immaculate. Lane assignments are great. Early rotations are great. Look at the way they snuck that, that Baron uh, against uh, Hanwha Life uh, by popping in there, popping in from the back of the pit on red side with the Jin Zhao and the Jinx in the late game where they just knew where all of the vision was and just completely took it away. Like these are kind of calls that you can only do with very specific compositions that are capable of, of making these kind of plays and they're making them. So their creativity in their macro is also very good. So, you know, you, you head into a mid game state even or behind on T1, you're probably not going to win that game. But I just am concerned about, you know, God Chinese laners like rocking up and and putting them in a scenario where they can't do well. And also it has to be said in this meta, uh, a lot of T1's compositions are based off of poke or based off of being able to deal damage on like a huge thing in the meta anyway. It's It's just what side of it you're playing from because typically Korean teams, if they have a range advantage, and this was talking to, I think it was around MSI when a lot of the players were obviously like all the Korean players were like over here scrimming. And a lot of the European teams are saying, you just can't give a range advantage to the Korean teams. They're too good at playing it out. Now, I don't think that was true uh, with all of the teams, but um, you know, you look at even coming through to worlds in the, say the semi-final between um, Damwon SKT and uh, you had like the Jin Maokai, Jin Zillion stuff cropping up and just like teams know how to play around the Jin at this point. Like if you give them it, they know how to rotate to impact mid. They know how to get a lead and then suddenly you don't have the ability to snap all in them and stop them using that range advantage. Now, when you come into this one where it's not Jin on the other side, it's a Jinxer and a Felos, which is going to, you know, crap on your team fights even harder at that point things get very difficult to problem solve. Now, when you have a player like Gumi Yusi, who is very good at Aphelios, you don't have to worry about the range discrepancy between something like a Jinx and Aphelios, which tends to be the trade-off. He's like, okay, in mid-game, we're going to have better teamfights with Aphelios when he's got Gale Force and the ability to really just pump out damage uh, before Jinx kind of comes online, at even more so at three, four items. But even with that, I do worry what happens, as you were saying, though, in terms of what happens when T1 have to shift away from that. Maybe it comes back to, I don't know, more Silas games coming into into mid lane and less Victor, less Corky, uh, and the ability to kind of like, do you have to brawl it out and not play the more, the patient fights and uh, look for that big play with the range? Well, it's also that T1 as a whole has not been playing engage-heavy compositions. What they've been doing is they've been playing compositions that do well once they have priority over an objective where if you try and play into them you get destroyed like you you don't want to be playing into like a fucking nar jace affilios you know corky like here are the here are the top three most played champs for every member of t1 zayas jace nar gragas okay you can say gragas is more of an engage heavy champion that's fine the other ones mostly rely on already having control over an objective and people playing into you owner Jinjiao, Lee Sin, Viego, Faker, Victor, Corky, LeBlanc, Gumiyushi, Aphelios, Jinx, Caitlyn, and Korea is playing Thresh, Karma, and Tom Kench. These are, for the most part, the if you were to take the top three most played champions of all of these players and craft compositions out of them, almost all of them yeah. are <laughs> oak compositions uh, that kite and peel effectively. 
And that if you can get, if you can muscle your way in front of a dragon or a baron and you force the other team to play into you, they're great. If you have to try and get in onto an objective, it becomes much more challenging. What's um, really interesting about that, though, is like there are other teams worldwide which are trying that and they're not doing nearly as well with it. Uh, say, I mean, the big one for me is someone like Mad Lions in Europe who have tried to play zero engage. Viego compositions were like, sweet, we're going to get soul point and you're going to have to contest us at some point. But they just make like one or two mistakes. And that's all it takes with these kind of comps to let go of the lead. And then suddenly you don't actually have the map position or the just the raw fighting potential to muscle your way into a certain area of the map and force the enemy to come into you. So I think it does say something about how T1 are playing to get those leads and playing to set up at objectives like you called out before. But the question is, you know, at a certain point, is, it, is there going to be some flaws in their style which are exposed and where they make one or two mistakes and they can't play out these compositions? Yeah, that's my question. So I, I, I think that obviously it's really exciting to run their on. They're extremely good at playing these compositions. So I'm not saying like it's going to be easy to stop them from doing this, especially because these compositions, when played well, are the apex of the meta right now. Like it's hard to see a team that is using these tools in a better macro sense than T1 is. And it's not, again, it's not flawless in the laning phase, but they are still doing it super, super well. And they, they're creative, they're tricky. Um, yeah, they're just a, they're a really good team, but I, I don't see it Pretty as good. totally without flaw. That's, that's my point. Should we swap to LEC then? Sure. Should we talk a bit about that? Right, here's the thing. Talk about Misfits G2. <laughs> Before we get, oh, into baby. <laughs> get into all that jazz, let's start with the top team in the LEC with Rogue. So if people don't right. know, Rogue, by winning this last game that they won and winning 12 games this split, obviously still three games to be played yet. We don't know what the final result will be. I looked this up. That means they have now... I just want to give props for a second because since everyone, at the moment, the Rogue narrative is dominated by playoffs and it's always like, they're just chokers, they can't adapt. Like There's even, even though no one actually actively calls out the Rogue, coaching staff because they're not very front-facing. The implication, which no one ever addresses, if you, if you really think the team doesn't properly like play in the playoffs and they discover it, I don't know why no one's ever asked, like, is just coaching staff doing their job? So where the coaching staff inarguably is doing their job is, these regular seasons are fucking incredible. This is now the fourth split in a row where they have won 12 or more games, right? That's you have to understand, guys, there's only Larson remaining. They've changed all the other fucking players over those four splits. And think about it, they did it playing three totally distinct playing styles like this coaching staff listen there's plenty of things you can dispute and say they've done a bad job but, but these areas like mate no joke they might be the best regular season coaching staff ever it's a bit like there's a similar scenario happened in lcs i always used to say while i haven't been mega critical of reaper when he was in playoffs and when he was in like game five draft, mate, in the regular season that guy's unreal he's all you're pretty much guaranteed to have an elite placing every split you're nearly always going to win most of your games like again they've done this in the lec because i if, listen, it's a different skill set. Coaching the playoffs in a series of best of five is obviously different from coaching two best of ones each week. But this, the point is, it's a skill. By the way, it's the same in all other sports. Again, the NFL to win regular season gives really hard as well, but it's a different skill. So I just want to give props to the staff because, again, they might yet win 13, 14. Get, like, this is unbelievable, this run, this, this coach staff's been in the last couple let's, of years. Let's make it even more impressive by saying they lost their two best players and the league MVP, and they still are at an 80% win rate right now. Here's the detail. I'll give you the one last caveat, which is this. I looked this up. Look, they've only had 18 game splits since season five onwards, but none of the other orgs have done it, Monty, ever. Fnatic hasn't done it. No one's done four splits in a row like this. Everyone has one split where you go 10 wins, 11 wins. Now, I will say the caveat is this. 
And this is the downside, that, that which makes it not as sexy as that initially sounded. Because that initially sounds like, holy shit, you mean even G2 and Flack haven't done it? Yeah, but spoiler, that's because since they kept winning each of the splits, they were like, actually, because we're now like actually champions, we're going to sort of forward it in for the first half of this split, then just get it together on the last week and then beat you in the playoffs. So I will say, <laughs> the fact that Rogue never wins probably also does help, because then the second they come back in the next split, it's like, got to prove ourselves again. <sighs> But I get these win like, they do have more reason to care. But like I said, it's really hard. Anytime you set history, like with the T1 record, as much as you can add caveats, like at the end of the day, you did stuff other people never did. That's always going to be hard. They're relevant. They're relevant somehow. I, I actually, one of their coaching staff did an interview on the LEC. I think it was Seal. I think it's Seal. Like their, their okay. um, surgery coach. Oh, great. They, they... You don't even know the name and you were on the broadcast. Oh, no, okay. no, so the reason it is, is because like, <laughs> I, I remember their name and it had like three or four E's in it. And I'm like, okay. Not it's sure how this pronounced. C L. I don't know. He's Australian. I'm looking him up. He's gotcha. he's Australian of Korean descent. All right. Gotcha. Yeah, they they did an interview. I, I'm I can't remember too much from it, but you know they were talking about you know the process going through the whole split in terms of like you know you got to start very early on with new teams and all the rest of it. And like there wasn't like a huge amount of substance to it, but they came on and they sounded confident. And then I'm, I'm the yeah, interesting to see. Uh, how that kind of translates from, you know, if you've got this process starting at the beginning of the split and then something majorly changes, like a patch change, how that works going into playoffs, because the the big problem with Rogue has always been they do one thing really, really well. doesn't last throughout a best of five. Um, and I think that there are ways to try change the meta already in drafts, which some teams are not going towards as heavily. Say, what happens when you ban both Jinx and Aphelios? What, what happens at that point? What, what are you going to do with that? You, you change the map completely. Um, obviously you can't really do the same to someone like Malarang because he plays everything right now apparently and he'll play it exactly the same way. Um, but yeah, uh, interested to see how Rogue kind of diversify their styles they can last in a best of five. By the way, one, I can't believe there's actually a guy in LEC who has the name Seal. Like, I know everyone in League's just too fucking... You're all actually way better than I am. But I would already have made some sort of joke about beating Seal Pops to death or some club, and I'm like, oh, I don't give a fuck. You know, I, I don't have a million angles. I've got a unique club. You should... You know, there's a million to... Oh, the Seal's you Pops... You wouldn't, you wouldn't go the, the kiss from a rose angle? No, no, because that, listen, that's just making light of a guy's actual real injury. But, you know, no. in many ways, their scar, they have a scar that's lasted them a lifetime as well, Monty. The playoffs, we call it. The playoffs, mate. No, but whatever, anyway. So there's a lot of angles you can go with on that one. No, but here's the thing I would say, though. It's like, if we're going to spin it the other way, one thing I would have to say about this Rogue team is this, Right. The, one of the reasons people didn't believe in them Nymera wasn't just the idea of like, you know, when they get to the playoffs, they won't win. I get the real sense talk, for all the experts I've talked to. It's Malrang specifically, dude. Everyone's vibe was like the fucking Jesse from Breakabout. So he can't keep getting away with it, surely. Like, no, you look at his style, it's like it's telegraphed to what he's going to do. Because, spoiler, he just always, he's never met a gank he didn't like. B, he's not trying to get any results off far in the jungle. He's just ganking 24 7. And then C, in theory, when you know someone's game plan, it should, in keyword in theory, make it easier to shut it down. Spoiler, everyone must know what he's doing, but they can't. Dude, they look, can't they, shut him down. Look, look, <laughs> stop I, this I, guy. I disagree with Nuke Duck's take last week that everybody knows knows where he is at all times because i watch some of his games and he will literally like walk across the entire map to go take your krugs he will literally just walk across you will like walk corner to corner to go take enemy krugs and then he like appears under a turret i'm like there's no way that is insane like why the yeah, fuck would anyone sure. ever do that he sacrifices efficiency for unpredictability um yes. and i mean we obviously saw how that falls apart when they lost against Fnatic. That was a big one for me because um, 
actually, this really came in quite similar to how uh, we were describing some of the T1 stuff in terms of, like, you see the jungle, you fight, you fight, you fight, and you just keep going. Now, Fnatic did that to such a big degree versus Rogue when it's just like, well, Jin Zhao is far too far forward. Sweet, we can punish that. And Malarang has, although he has been rewarded for a lot of his aggressive unpredictability, has started to be pulled up just a little bit against the top teams. Um, now, I'm trying to remember actually who they've got as their, their last, like, uh the like run of teams but yeah i mean well let me tell like... you it's sk bds and g2 so not looking particularly well, challenging yeah, okay so, no, so we're, getting... <laughs> we're getting that 13 wins i'm just gonna say it now so, yeah, <laughs> i mean that is what it is i mean um i do think that i mean we saw a lot of symptoms of this in australis game too and they, again that was the uh the, the uh very sad loss where they did. they played very similar compositions where they had to pick pick jungle mids and then they, they just overextended first and they got hit by a vexal in the jungle they died horribly once you fall behind in compositions like that very very hard to come back and if you look at the um fanatic loss too against something like the twisted fate it doesn't matter if it's been nerfed or not having that gold card pick to to lock onto something else is is really really difficult to um kind of worm your way out of um so i think rogue is starting to um fall prey to the teams which are not content to sit back early this is also why picks like Hecarim are really succeeding in the LEC right now, because they can't fight at like level 1 to 3 or whatever. Um, hell, you don't even level up your E until level 4. Like, you're not even going to be able to charge into a lane. So on your first clear, second clear, you are very, very vulnerable. And if you play a good Lee Sin, you play a good Jin Zhao, um, it's going to be very difficult to, to fight back. And I think that ties in quite a lot to the LEC's kind of mentality right now, where... No one's really that explosive early outside of Fnatic, and I do think that's why Fnatic have a leg up on the meta. Sometimes G2 will do something similar too, but as we saw, they don't always close so cleanly. But um, on the whole, I think that um, Rogue might start losing some of that dominance once teams start finding an extra gear to go up into in the, in the early game, if they're feeling brave enough to do that. Or they actually you know start more aggressively warding in the early and mid game so that they can that probably kind of it, yeah. Yeah, track... Uh, or, you know, just play TF and just press R. You know, that's that's fine, too. I have, like, an abstract... You'll see, you'll see immediately. Don't worry about I have, it. I have an abstract tangent, though, as to why I actually think it's not as simple as fans think of, like, you can't just take one VOD of, like, Malraga and go, oh, I'm going to stop him this way. Here's why. Because as much as in League, especially, League's probably the game where this is the number one way of seeing the game. Everyone thinks of practice as being tailored because the pro team knows the two teams they're playing this week in LEC. They literally practice, like, right, we're going to practice for this team, this team. And so what they do is they essentially give you the notion you're prepping a game plan right but i actually think if you look specifically at most team games and league definitely falls in this what you're really doing is all your practice is making you what you are as a team and that is your core identity and you can have the odd like one-off draft for this team or one-off a game plan but ultimately whatever your tendencies as a team and players you will always for good or for ill go back to those and so i remember there was a great quote i once heard that was something along the lines of, i can't remember the exact phrase but the gist of it was like you don't always like rise to the level of like you know, the moment or your skills, you sometimes fall to the level of your preparation. And so to me, I personally, it's the reason why when I hear teams saying like, it's games we're shit, but in the game, we're going to be good. It's like, I don't know, mate, because in my opinion, the way you practice should be how you play it. The, the so error bars are really high at that point. <laughs> sure. So one thing I'd say is this, 
in my opinion, the fact that no one else is playing like Malrang is why he gets away with it. It's because essentially every other team in the league trains you not to be able to beat Malrang. We actually have, I won't do a whole sidebar, but we actually have a player in CSGO that is very like this. Monty will know this. The reason I've picked against the team Virtus Pro that's from the CIS region so many times is because as an analyst, when I only watch their games, they have a player called Jim, where like if I was a coach and my only task as a coach was to make my team able to shut this guy down, I'm not, I'm not joking. I would wreck this guy in a way no pro team is right now. But as I alluded to, they're not prepping in that way, especially in Counter-Strike, no. where you know you don't know who you're going to play tomorrow, right? In what you do instead is because he plays of the most unique style of sniper play, basically. He's basically very defensive, he never takes any shots pretty much, right? It means that everyone else is used to like the aggressive sniper, the one who takes this angle. And so everyone else is almost like trained that even in the game, if you could pause it and go, remember though, you are playing against Jim, though. It's not an almost that you go, oh <laughs> fuck, yeah, you're right, I'll play this totally. Instead, it's like everyone else falls into the same trap over and over and over again because every other player who plays his role trains you that that's how you should play so I think some of that's at play here because as I say everyone's watched all the game like dude they're the number one team they were undefeated every team for sure has like a big board a whiteboard one of the points on it is Malrang it's like what we're going to do to him early game it's just no one can bloody do it no one can make it happen in the server part of it is also Trimby really enabling with enchanter picks too yeah. yeah go on yeah, I well, I think it's that's definitely true, especially, um, you know, it's hard to have specific game plans for teams when you are playing back to back bays, which every team in LCS and LEC does in a given week, you have to focus on your own game first, which to your point, Thorin, which is, I think, absolutely true. Now, you can have certain drafts and the coaches are obviously thinking about drafts that they can do. But when it comes to like, unique warding patterns or expectations around level pathing. Ones. Yeah, level ones. It becomes a lot more difficult to do that. Now, I do think Rogue will suffer in best of fives, not because they always suffer in best of fives, which they kind of do, but uh, because I think once you actually have a week to look at them and be like, okay, we're going to, we have the five game plan of how, you know, we've got five different things we're going to do to try and stop Malrong and we've got all these contingencies. It's going to be a lot harder for him to pull off his, his bullshit. Also on your point of VP, I think what's even funnier is that now Sanji doesn't play with them anymore, but to contextualize people who don't know, he was basically just like a pack mule for James that was just feet like carrying all of James equipment. So it was even more stupid to play against them in the past because you had literally had just another player whose entire purpose was basically you had a unique, a player with a unique style. And then another player whose purpose was to feed this player. So was... did. yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, the, 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 the beautiful thing about CS to me is that I watch a lot of CS. I watch it as a complete pleb and I want it to stay that way because I miss viewing something with like absolutely oh, no gosh. information just by yeah, yeah. esports. So CS is like, it is the best esports just on like sure. a pure fundamental level. Um, but yeah, so when I hear imagine, stuff like this, I'm like, Nymer, imagine nice. creating <laughs> an esport. This is that, Anyone can watch because they understand what real intuitive. world guns do intuitive that has perfect pacing that has easily identifiable outplays with no barrier. Of no I don't have to know 160 champions to watch Counter-Strike. I don't even have to play video games to watch Counter-Strike. Imagine if we just made games like that instead of... Oh, no, 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 no. Listen, Monty, <laughs> we're on a Riot broadcast-related game. So here's the joke. Imagine seeing all of that, Monty, and going, wow, almost the perfect eSport. Right, take it, make it have loads of unique champions, ruin that whole thing, Monty said. Make it so that you can't intuitively know because these are imaginary guns in a fictional universe. Make it and like really the same even though the unless they have skins 
Even though the premise of Counter Strike is spoiler, aside from weird sponsor things that haven't caught up, no actual fan is put off by the violence in the real world terrorist. No, take that theme, make it like kids' things, even though it's a shooter and about God. Like the, the joke is, it's like a riot focus group sat down and got everything wrong in Valorant. Basically, people don't know. Like the joke is, they missed every point Monty was making that was good, and at the end went. As rounds like Counter Strike, they though. do have really intriguing <laughs> drama, though. Like in terms of the scene, the drama is great. Sure, <laughs> you know why that is? Is because they got all the players who were good at drama but bad at Counter Strike. So yep. they got all <laughs> those guys. They got all of them. There you go. <laughs> it's okay. They right, can have well, their... <laughs> Since you guys mentioned earlier that you want to specifically talk about the should be notorious fucking G two Misfits game. Right. Which yes. side do you want to do it on though, Monty? Which side are we attacking first? Is it the fact that like, look, Misfits aren't supposed to win half these games, but they do have probably the MVP of the league in Vethior. And G2 are supposed to, I think they're supposed to be slightly better than they are, but they sort of are up and down week to week. So which side are we attacking this from? Let's let's start before the game even begins where this draft was allowed to happen. Yes. Yeah, that's one. <laughs> Everyone used to talk so much shit on grabs for his drafts. Like, Tell you what, I'd have, I'd have him back after seeing some of the BDS ones. Mate. He knows what he's doing. So what do you think, guys? What was the most egregious aspect of I this mean, draft? I mean, first off, oh, like, this, let's be very clear. This comeback is not possible without Zeri Yumi. Mostly Yumi, but also Zeri was, you know, helping a lot. I'd call out the Akali Yumi too. But yeah, effectively well, the, the same well, The point is that the Yumi was enabling akali and zeri in very shitty ways um and there's there's a reason why you know we don't see a lot of zeri let through these these drafts so i think that it was it was a cocky draft and i think that without this composition we don't see misfits coming back like they have these like mega late game scaling high mobility um champions that can create picks which were very M2 important in their comeback into, yes. <laughs> so, so, so let's start with draft. So, uh, that was, that was kind of bad, but you know, you could, bit. you can make the argument, uh, which G2 obviously thought they could do. So, you know, if all the people are like, well, why did they allow them to do that? Come on, let's not fault G2's extremely good early game that happened where they completely shit on Shlatan in the jungle. Um, made him totally useless for like the first 30 minutes of the game, uh, executed a really good early game plan. So that was fantastic from G2. So it's okay to let these drafts too through or these these kind of picks through if you have a good early game plan and your team is playing around, which they, they did. needed to do that. Yeah, they had like a 14,000 gold lead at 20 minutes into the game. So clearly the draft wasn't the problem when it came to G2, their execution on that draft was really good. You just can't let it go to this insane late game state. And not only that, but G2 had to commit so many errors to even arrive at this loss that the, the takeaway for fans, yes, the draft enabled the win in the end, but that is not why Misfits won. Like, yeah, so th there are so many ways to go about this because I mean, so yeah, this is the the largest comeback at fifteen deficit the EU has like ever seen. So um, this was I mean, crazy at that point. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think technically there was a larger gold lead that was come back from, but that was like 
20, 30 minutes, something like that. So in terms it was like literally, as far as I know, I believe the, the biggest one ever was obviously the famous Frog and Anivia one against Moscow Fiber. Yes. But here's the yeah. difference to add it to that. That was when you could essentially stall the game out indefinitely. Way of like you, yeah, there wasn't the same tools to end the game now. Like You didn't have to go and take a dragon. A dragon just gave you fucking gold. gold. You didn't have to take the you baron. You didn't even like, know when it died. <laughs> exactly. So like, if people don't know, like also like in it, in the modern context, you're talking about, this is an extreme gold thing to come back from. 100 yeah. i mean like, even I, with it, even with bounties helps but yeah. yeah even with bounties and rubber band mechanics that have been added back into this game because you saw what happened is that they were down 14 gate gold and yes okay they get four shutdowns but that only puts you down 10 gate gold it's not like oh okay like yeah it certainly helps misfits they they misfits and they played misfits did play out this situation very well but the only reason they were able to get the picks they did was because G2 was so bad at using Trindamir pressure. Like, they had a winning 1v1, and he, they just wouldn't play it. He got two really easy solo kills in lane two. Like, he was gifted an advantage. This Trindamir was way further ahead than he had any right to. And I know that Hira has struggled a lot in the 1v1s, and, you know, as much as he was being... He, you know, he was great last year, and I think that um, Razog did a lot for him as a player in terms of giving him the resources to play the high-carry high carry potential champions. He's struggled without so many resources, and that's that's a compromise between you know him not necessarily playing well without the resources, but his team needing to give him resources because the draft demands that, and then not doing that. But this was this was too very easy, just give you uh, freebies for the. Um, I mean, it's a terrible for matchup for Gwen. It's a fucking shit matchup. Yeah, yeah, but even then, like randomly dying when you're crashing a wave and sticking around just way too far, they, they were easy ones as far as that matchup goes. And you can have, and as we saw later on, eventually you can stabilize that matchup. Should never have gotten to that point. Um, but I think that G2 had to get the early gold lead because once you have, as you're saying, the Zeri, the, the Akali as well, or just, well, actually anyone with the Yumi on top of them eventually is just going to have a point where there's. There's never Frost and a Charm to stop you, and that's not enough because you save your most of your mobility. You use the move speed to close the gap, and you use your your flash or whatever um, defensive abilities you have to just dodge the first CC, and you don't really care after that point. Um, so well, I do think good. that G2 played out their last fights very poorly. I think that they wasted a lot of cooldowns onto like Jinzao, and it just doesn't doesn't matter. You know, at that point, you've used all your ults to shut down on Jinzao. When you have the Akali still out there, you have the Zeri still out there. So I think that G2's target priority was a little hasty in trying to end the game without realizing what uh, difficulty they would be in uh, if they did that. Uh, but even with that, these are a lot of comeback mechanics which are helping them do that. Yeah. And uh, like, if you look at it, G2 was always going to have a, a disadvantage in terms of team fighting in the late game. Like, it, it, you mentioned the lack of hard CC. I'm not even sure that matters because just the composition that Misfits is running, you have a Gwen with Ghost and Yumi. That's going straight on your Jinx. Like there's, and there's nothing you can do to stop her. She's just going to ult you at range and then close the gap with Ghost and then just shit on Jinx. Yeah, Jinx um, can't play this game. Yeah, Jinx can't play. And like Jinx can't play against Akali with Yumi. Jinx can't play against Zeri with Yumi. So there's so many things that they, they basically just had free access to the carries that it was going to become very difficult in the late game regardless. And so that means it's not that they couldn't win, obviously with their gold lead, they should have won, even if they had a modest gold lead, which you would expect uh, given the, the way this, these drafts were working. Um, as long as you play Trindamir pressure well, I think you're okay. The problem is, is that they would not wait, like first off, Broken Blade would misplay. And then when Broken Blade wasn't misplaying as to basically just taking objectives when his team had pressure across map, uh, you know, he would try and go fight for 
fight with the team for whatever reason, which was weird. Um, and then the other thing is like when Broken Blade didn't have pressure or was cr starting to move a wave, the rest of his team would fight or get picked off. And so they never actually created the scenario on many, many attempts that was going to result in them winning this game. Yeah, but even with that, you know, G2 did play out the early game well. I think that um, Mercer and Schlatan have had some horrid early games this split. Actually, that's one of the things that they've improved a lot in the last couple of weeks. You know, you come into like week four or five and they are hilarious. They were, I think actually they were actually the worst early game team after Astralis started stepping up in terms of all the stats for it. And again, you know, stats are whatever. But if you're down however many thousand gold and turret plates and towers and whatever in the early game, then it's, it's very, very easy to see by the numbers that um, they were struggling at that point. But slowly and surely, they had started to come back into that, and then just you just slap jungle support. Like, there's nothing they can do. Um, Shantan is forced out for off of his first buff. Bot lane dies really early on, and you think, okay, well, this is some uh, older spooky moments coming back from Misfits, and they uh, didn't really deal with that very well. Um, but I, I do think that they managed to stabilize in a way that, just characteristically of a team of their veterancy, I wouldn't put towards them. I would have thought, okay, they're probably going to fall apart. They don't really have the leadership uh, and the tenure to kind of overcome this really difficult situation in game, but they did. So that was um, an interesting learning experience for me about this team in terms of what they can do when they're up against the wall. Interesting seeing that will come out in a best of though, because it's a very different, see it's, uh, very different vibe to a regular season as opposed to very high stakes matches in playoffs where obviously they're going to end up being if they're top table. I mean, Here's the thing, as much as League is like a game that is very much team-based and you can't just win if you want player, low-key though, I'm just loving this for the same reason why we were wanting Chovy to go ham at Worlds. Like, in the playoffs, there's only one reason they're winning any playoff series, Misfits, so and that is if fucking Vethio keeps having these insane games like this. If he does, it's possible, but like, I don't think his team on paper should beat almost any of the playoff teams, but like, mate, the way he's been playing, like, it's, it's doable. This guy's just been so unreal this split. Well, and you love to watch him play too, because he's he's like not opting into this like quirky oh, picture it's bullshit. Deep, it's like, yeah, let's exactly. Go Silas, Goswo, yeah. <laughs> yes. Akali, like LeBron, like, let's go. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, that's that's what's fun about him. It's like he's he's just super entertaining oh, to watch. What was and, great about that is that like humanoid was was on one of the desk breaks and was saying like, oh, I'm kind of getting tired of the mid lane meta right now. And Vito's just here like just pulling out fucking, fucking party poppers and different champions. The guys are playing a different game. I've got a meta-related question I want to ask you about. Since in this last game, this champion actually was featured on the losing team, right? Explain this to me, guys. Why is the LEC so in love with Viego? Because I looked it up. It I has don't won know. Five, I have no idea. Won, it has me. won five games. It has lost 14 games. And spoiler, <laughs> even in the Asian regions, it's a losing game, champion. It's just the difference is, at least in LPL and LCG, they win a lot more with it. The And I, by the way, I'm not. the obvious answer here would be it's picked by the, the bad team every time. It isn't. No. Spoiler, the best junglers in LEC love this champion. And I don't get it, mate, because when I'm watching it in the games, it does nothing. I have no idea either. Someone explain it to me. Jesus I know it was Christ, so bad. <laughs> why is it played all the time? No, I don't get it. So, so Diego to me is like the anti-dive jungler. And a lot of people are going to be like, oh, it's great into Hecarim because he overdives and then he dies. But that's in reality, you're left with no ability to engage yourself because you don't have an aggressive jungler. Um, you can gank some bits early, but I don't know. I just don't see it. So I, the thing about Viego is like he creates, he has a strong level two. So you can actually create advantages early uh, via gank. But then he has like this power trough that exists through the mid game. And I, here's what, here's my actual theory, Thorin. 
I think that he's very effective in scrims because those games are fiestas and Viego is able to get a bazillion resets and he looks like a fucking god champ as he totally takes right. over scrims. Now, in real games of League of Legends where people don't just auto commit to every That's skirmish that exists. I did three games on a watch party and every game, the first 10 minutes was, there might have been one kill collectively across a three, 10 minute. Uh, right. second. They're super slow now, the games compared to what, the, what they were previously. Yeah. So I, I feel like Viego can do things in the extreme early part of the game, but if you fuck that up, then he falls behind. Exactly, then... because Viego's such a high gold jungler as well. He needs like two items to be relevant. So if you mess up your early game, like what, what you've you've effectively given up half a champion for most of your yep. game. Like what do yeah. you do at that point? So uh, you know, I think that this is it's 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 scrim bias basically is my best right. guess. Um, that it's just that you you have scenarios in scrims where he looks very very dominant. And he feels very dominant because of the way that people tend to skill check and take skirmishes experimentally in scrims, um, which results oftentimes in the Viego getting huge resets, getting you know a huge amount of gold, becoming super dominant. But in games where people are playing more reserved or they, because of the skill checks that exist in scrims, they have a better knowledge of when they can and can't win fights. So teams will just opt out of fights that they know they can't win. Then he just sits there and is a is a potato. I will say that I, I, I in theory I quite liked how Mad Lions were playing some of their Viego drafts, ones which they had a lot of problems with. And again, we were saying earlier that they would make like one or two mistakes, and I think particularly the SK loss was a really good example of this. But they're super far ahead. They have the Viego that's been farming up loads. They vertical jungled early. They you know they they came into a level one. They took some buffs. They they had a huge jungle advantage. And they aim to stay ahead of the curve. And if you're engaging into the Viego, who's got a lot of gold, he slaughters you, takes that first kill, and gets the reset. Um, but it's really hard to play that kind of very high, upbeat style where you're constantly against the objectives first. You're constantly trying to push your gold lead and then force them into you at pivotal objective fights. But Mad Lions were also like not stacking dragons early. They were going towards the Herald for the gold advantage to get ahead. And then they'd be down two dragons when they actually really wanted the enemy to be fighting into them. And they could just give up two dragons to stabilize the gold lead. So I think there's some macro stuff going on, which is not helping Viego. I think the early game aggression, I think you're right. I think that you need to be more risky with the Viego and you need to just hope for a high roll. I don't think you should be picking Viego with that in mind because I feel like the LEC just doesn't do that well right now unless you're Rogue. I think Rogue and Fnatic are the two early game ganking teams that will actually pull that off. But most of the league, I just don't see Viego working for them. I, I just stop. For my, for my sake of mind, please stop. <laughs> yeah, for what it's, yeah, go on. For what it's worth, he is twelve and twelve in LCK. But uh, it's, I don't think I think weirdly. I mean, there's some things that Europe just has a higher priority on, and Viego is one of those champions, as opposed to most other regions. I think a team we should talk about now because it's a team that listen, barring like it'd have to be as far as I can tell the most insane miracle where like four teams have exactly the results possible. Essentially, by the way, the playoffs are set in LEC. Yeah. The two teams that are mathematically haven't been eliminated is just because mathematically, if those teams lose all their games, the ones above them, and then they win all their games, there's maybe some tiebreaker scenarios. But realistically, it's not looking very likely right now. So one of the teams basically who shockingly are going to miss out on the playoffs are the two-time reigning champions. Mad Lions are in seventh place right now they are three games there are only three games left by the way they are three games behind the two teams above them in the so again as i said you're going to need some like insane fuckery so at this point in time functionally mad lions has flunked the split despite being the reigning champions now true 
they certainly do not have two of the biggest names that they used to have when they were the champion, etc. But I think this is this is the topic. Right? I'll just open it by saying a slightly mean but maybe funny comment. So redundant that I even explained that. I'm All I'll say notes. is this. Do you know what, Mac? Good news is this, mate. Your general game plan with this team is going to work amazingly because with no playoffs, no MSI, and maybe no Worlds, there's no chance your players can burn out. You've succeeded, sir. <laughs> See, it was a little bit mean. It was a good point, but so I made it. the delivery was hurtful. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we, we knew this was we knew this was going to happen. Like, Mad Lions couldn't keep like they couldn't keep getting away with it, right? What they did very well as an org, and to Peter Dunn and their ownership and Max credit, was that when oh. no one else was scouting, Europe, when everyone else was playing the recycle the washed pro game, yes. they were playing the let's actually scout lower lower leagues game, and they were able to I, I correctly identify many good players. Um, when they made changes last year, in spite of you know doing well, most people would have said. And we we praise them for this. Most people would have said, "Let's run back our roster from 2020 and 2021." Mm -hmm. yeah. Instead, they said, "Here is our core issue. We need a more vocal early game shot caller." We're all inning on El Yoya, a rookie who had a wonderful season. Um, was probably one of the best rookies that LEC has ever had straight out of the gate. Uh, not only in terms of his individual ability, but because of the effect we knew he was having on the comms of the team. Like that is that is very good. Had excellent stage performance, had excellent playoff performance as a rookie. He looked like the playoff legit, post, didn't he? Yeah, he looked even better. <laughs> Fucking legit player for sure, right? So they 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 made a they took a risk and said we're not content being top three. We want to be top one. They became top one. Like that's they deserve credit for that. But as more and more teams are actively scouting into the lower leagues of Europe, um, and it, it becomes more difficult to f get the exact player you want. And also, not every player is going to be an Elioya. Like you, you just have to admit you got lucky that he didn't crumble under pressure as a rookie. That he was. You can even argue not really Elioya right now, mate. If you've been watching some of these games, like, I, I don't yeah, think Elioya's. He looks like he's struggling, but <laughs> I don't think yeah. he's their number one problem. Um, but I mean, it, it, they don't have the coordination that they used to have. Um, that's for sure. It feels like. I don't even rec I don't even realize Reeker's like playing in half the games that like he's just he just exists, but I never see him. He's like a ghost on the map. Um so it feels like they they lack a lot of coordination and pressure. So I don't know. Like I think that there are I think that it Bad Lions was due for a bit of a, a you know a downturn in their performance because they we have to acknowledge that they got unreasonably lucky and that they had a very low amount of competition for the players they were scouting and both of those things have changed dramatically yeah and i think that you know expectations of mad lions were you you can't realistically set them as title champions three four times back to back with with a new roster coming in like this they uh, also you know, shouldn't have beaten rogue so we've got i mean they have a fraud title frankly in my mind <laughs> And yet it's still in their silverware cabinet. So they got away with it. Um, they're happy with it. <laughs> KT rolls to fan. I'll just, let's just put that out there as an ambiance. You know? Look, I, mean, I recognize Katie... that KT's 2014 title was also fraudulent. That's <laughs> just the coin flipped their way to a title. True. That is true. coin flipped like yes. six. Oh, God. That, I mean, it was a great split that summer, uh, summer 2014. But it was like... probably the greatest split in any region in League of Legends history that was capped because by the so most fraudulent fucking final. It's it was a problem, Monty. Logically. <laughs> 
Listen, I'm not talking real alchemy. I'm talking like whack anime, full alchemist brotherhood level alchemy. Understand? But essentially, <laughs> what they did, Monty, was by exchanging the most fraudulent bullshit split ever against, by the way, one of the best Korean teams ever. <laughs> they got to win one time, and then all the real KTB teams that should have won never got to ever win. So that's what happens. You don't fuck around with black magic kids. Don't, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it ever. And they and they ruined the best split in League of Legends history sure. by doing that. So. Don't, Thanks, don't worry. KT arrows. No, the only team that people remember from that era is Samsung White. Anyone? We forget about the golden era of OG and sadly. I don't but, know. Uh, yeah. yeah, but the thing, the thing about the bad lines is that. Uh, so um, I'd heard great things about um, Unforgiven. He was uh, from everyone that I know in the ERL. Yes. Like he's, he's been doing pretty well. And actually, I think he's overperformed considering you know the level that the LEC is and and, and the level of the AD carries that we've typically. Also, it's a very unique champion pool. Fair play. Seems like a pretty cool guy. Yeah, and you know he had he was a coming from the URLs, you know he was a big aggressive Draven player and stuff like this. For him to develop and show the poise that he did do, particularly in the first half of the split, was sure. better than I was expecting. Now Rika was always very streaky, even in Prime League. Um, now those streaks when he was like on the hot streak, doing really really well, he effectively carried his team from like I don't know second, third, or whatever to like straight to the top through. The, I think the uh, the way the Prime League playoffs worked was that it was kind of like a gauntlet system, and he effectively solo killed his way to a title down at that level, and then did pretty well in EU Masters on top of that too. Got to the semifinals and took a common quarter five games, uh, but it's a very different level of competition. It's not top of the table LEC. Yes, I think that EU Masters is a it's a relevant level of competition when you're looking towards oh. you know, picking up new talent for for the LEC. Absolutely, I think we've seen some great ERL players come through that that kind of um, mechanism. But that doesn't remove the fact that he's always been streaky. If you're taking just his results on the very best, you could definitely say that what the hell is this player doing? He's he's you know he's he's a ghost in the games. And what's his champion pool like? But I think the sad thing is that in this LEC, we've only seen kind of cold streak Rika. Um, I'm I hope that they do put a bit more time into him because I think that he does have potential. Question is, you know, how much are you willing to do that as an org in terms of the process outside of that? I don't think all these problems lie with Riku. I think the way that they're playing the game is problematic. I think that Armut's struggling. I think that another big thing is that jungle support was where Mad Lions was best. I wouldn't say uncontested. Yeah. I wouldn't say uncontested because I was like, oh, out and out best uh, jungle support duo. But like, they were very, very good. I think sure. that was... Um, but now that's not really the case. You've got Rogue, you've got Fnatic, you've got, hell, even G2, you've got some good stuff going on with that, right? So even their strongest strength is now, like, at best, like, fourth in the region. Um, and that's really problematic when the one person who stood up to be a carry on your team throughout the second half of the split in Elioia can't do enough, and the team isn't really playing a style that supports Elioia popping off. Now, maybe if they discovered Hecarim earlier, we'd be having a different conversation. I think that would have been a great pick pick for them. And actually, the game which they lost against Fnatic, they lost it themselves. And given the fact that, you know, Fnatic do look like the best team in the league right now, them having to lose that game, it shows what could have been with this roster and this split. And it's a little sad that we see it so late. But at the end of the day, you know, it took them a long time to figure out how they wanted to play. And they're reaping the rewards for that. I want to make a point because there's a lot of coaches watch these shows. In fact, spoiler, even when some of these shows, like some of the bar shows that are way low viewed, there's like sometimes more people in the bully industry watch than the random fans because the joke is the industry the people sometimes, yeah, they sometimes know like, oh, it's going to be interesting. I might want to hear about this person. Whereas a random player's like, I don't know this guy. So anyway, basically, <laughs> loads of coaches will definitely watch this thing. So if you want to battle me on this point, 
just get your points ready and I'll see you on the next episode. Because I'm sick and tired generally. I'm going to do a video on my side channel about this as a general topic. But I'm getting really sick, Monty, of people just basically moving the goalposts when a player isn't a star player. So what happens, right, is this. We have a discussion about Rika, right? Now, I set it up the way the conversation should be set up. It goes like this. You are the championship team in the league and you had arguably the best player at the most important position, mid lane, to win that championship, right? When you then make your next team... It has to, just by definition. You have to contrast against the previous team. Sure, you could definitely add in all caveats that we sort of did here, which is you're not essentially the best business though, so you have to sell the players sometimes. If someone offers you a crazy amount, yeah, you sell it and you try and reinvest. You try and get a new player. So I understand that, like, realistically, it, what, it isn't realistic to say you have to give me the humanoid, the sequel to humanoid, right? Yeah, you're not going to find that. But here's the problem. That is effectively what you are trying to do when you make this next Mad Lions roster. So my problem is this, Nymera. I agree agree and loads of coaches have even privately said this to me they'll say stuff like yeah but Rika isn't like he didn't lose them the game yeah but Rika played it all right you know his well, laning phase healthy. was fine or you know what he played like an okay rise game like he knows what he's doing like or you know what give him time as you look at here's the problem though I, no, it goes the other way. Here's how I would flip it. I would go, if I was making an LEC team and I asked myself a checklist, what do I need to have the best LEC team? Remember, we were just champions, so I've got to at least try and believe I can win, right? One of the number one on my checklist would be have one of the best mid laners in the league. They Definitely, have failed yeah, immediately. Yeah. So it can't now be what then they go, but he's not the worst reason. He's not the worst. Not he, but he plays the most important role. That's the problem. So that is my main issue when we have this discussion. Because essentially, by the way, the same thing happens in Counter-Strike if you watch that ever. People will sometimes do the same thing about a player if he's the AWPer, the sniper, yeah. but he's not the worst player on the team. They'll go, but he's not the worst. It's like, bro, that position is the highest resource position in the game by definition. So if you're that player not being the worst, that doesn't even begin to fulfill your qualities there. In theory, just theory, you should be the best. So similarly, right, if you're going to play European League of Legends, you know, in theory, you may doesn't have to be the best he has to be one of your best players though and he almost certainly must be a star player if you're going to win leagues like remember there's no lec title where someone like just fucking plays malzahar and wins it that doesn't happen in europe mate that's some bullshit they do in asia where they have different players they can play around other lanes in europe it's mid lane or get fucked so as a result like there's no world where rico was ever going to pop off like this the joke is you look elsewhere in the league like there are actually other mid laners that were like less likely to pop offs that where it's like where's this guy so i unfortunately like Look, I I can sort of see why maybe Mad Lions recruited him. Like, based on what they're saying, it sounds like maybe he has, like, good comms or he has a good mind for the game or he does what the coaches want. But at the end of the day, like, ultimately, it's a performance league. And as I will again repeat, this is the European League of Legends League, mate. Like, in this scenario, it's fuck or walk if you're a mid lane. So I don't care about anything else. Oh, great teammate. Great. It's like, I want to do the fucking Alec Baldwin streets. Great. Fuck off and have, have a team meeting. Be the assistant coach then, cocksucker. This is mid lane. Win me some lanes. Get me some kills dominate some fucking picks do any of these things yeah, so at the moment like that this guy's just sort of turning up and keeping his head down trying not to get asked questions then wait until the fucking bell rings like that ain't enough i need you on the honor roll motherfucker if you want to win on a bit of a tangent from this a little relevant is that so when i was like coming on for my first week of lec um, I was actually wondering, because this is the point where XL were doing quite poorly. So XL's Good, academy yeah. team in the NLC has a mid laner called MNS, and MNS is currently the global solo kill leader. He's got 30 He's kills. He's the guy puts all the assassins, right? Uh, he played Kaiser mid lane as a counter to Corky. He's played, oh, fair enough. Okay. He's played 14, something like 13 champions in 14 games, had two and a half solo kills a game. 
and he's an absolute just just crazy guy. Um, so I was wondering if they were actually just going to like kick Nuke Dog down, bring this right. guy in, because at that point you're like, well, okay, at what point do you just kind of pull the plug and say, sweet, just get this person who's really on form in? Um, but I think it's it's always a difficult decision to make because actually one of the criticisms that EU has had and LCS two actually to a lot of this uh, extent is that they'll have someone come in. And they'll do this poorly for like a split or a season, and they just get chucked into the dump. And they're like never seen again. They're never really developed. It's very sink or swim. But I think particularly with a team like Mad Lions, who did so well at cracking the problem which EU had in terms of not just having star power, but having cohesion as a team. Oh, for sure, yeah. I wonder if that. I wonder if this is kind of a kind of a follow on from them trying to strike gold twice with this and trying to say, look, it might take us a while to work things out, but we think we can work with the pieces because they've seen it work before. Um, it's a very difficult decision. If they keep to make the same roster, if they manage to do a yeah. Misfits basically and keep the same roster like Royal Misfits did last year, and then it does actually blossom in summer, I will absolutely reverse position and give all the coaching credit. All but you have to do it, yeah, of course, yeah. The, you know, the question's been asked very, very heavily at this point. You have to do it at that point, and that's obviously yes. very difficult for everyone involved. But then you look at like Elroya, who is playing a very, um, you know, I'm not going to say like self serving style, but like he's still playing like the, the Canyon style of League of Legends, playing like the last couple of years in terms of just like, I, I'm going to be the carry, I'm going to be like the, the tip of the spear. His most um, played champion is Graves. Yeah. All this <laughs> of all right. time. You know, if, I mean, it fits him, right? It fits him. And, and then you've got a player like, you've got players like Armor and Rika who are underperforming, particularly Armor, given what we saw from him like last year. Like, as much as he wasn't always going to be the star pop off player, he had fantastic NAR performances. He had some great Wukong performances too. Now he's like, that's that's the problem. What was the Aatrox picks? All of this stuff. Well, to it's be just fair, like, to be fair, Armut has always been an Aatrox player, right? Just don't it, R2 it. Just look, don't. look, Aatrox blows. Like, don't I, we can have that conversation too? Because yeah. I just sit there and watch. I mean, I just sit there and watch League of Legends around the world and watch Aatrox be useless every fucking game right now. So <laughs> yeah. like, it's stupid. Um, and. Who knows why people are doing it? But he does technically, technically, Arma does have a 79% historic win rate on Aatrox, and he's it's his fifth most played champ at 19 games. So he has been very good on it. It's gonna go down if he keeps playing at money. That's gonna be like 60 next week. So. <laughs> it's true. But but like I, I think if you look at the way that it was Mad Lions was constructed last year. So here's the here's the big difference, I think, is that. With Rogue, they have completely reinvented themselves based on the players that they have had, right? To me, it yeah. feels like Mad Lions has not reinvented yes. their play style from That's last year. They had to uh, on the blueprint as far as I can tell. If you look at who they get, yeah. yeah. So, so to explain, how did, we, we have to ask ourselves, like, what was great about Mad Lions? It was humanoid, obviously was a huge impact on this team. He would play signature champions where he would have immense pressure on the map like Twisted Fate. And what was Armit's job? Armit's job was basically to play Armit champs in the top lane, which are Nar, Jace, Wukong, Aatrox, right? And they had a particular style. And like, and I think the, the comparison between Elio and Canyon is astute because he's playing like Graves, Lee Sin, like these are Canyon champs. And the point is, is that Armit does Armit things in top lane, and he's going to do well on Armit champs and provide value, but he's not really the focus of the team. The focus of the team is Elioya and Humanoid exer and Kaiser exerting massive map pressure alongside Elioya. Now, when you have a guy 
who, as far as I can tell, doesn't do anything in the mid lane. He certainly is not the the massive like gravity well that's like you know drawing people to him or like Does all you know of his the force like and everything. you know you know pushing the other team very heavily. Then all of a sudden you have a guy in top lane who's playing armit champs, which limits your what you can do with compositions and limits the way you can play the game. Elioya can't apply the same pressure without the backup of humanoid, and Kaiser is with a new guy in the bot lane and Karzi. I'm not I'm not the biggest Karzy fan in the universe, but he does play a specific style and he can be left alone. He's very self-sufficient weak side AD carry, and that's great in the right roster. But what um, you're looking for is a secondary carry and effectively saying that yeah, Armour's is not going to do that because of his style, and you've yes. got two rookies to choose between with that. So effectively you've you kind of struck out yes. and you're hoping that one of the rookies <laughs> is going to be an insane rookie. Right. And as we've discussed, it's not really ended up like that. I mean the whole point of armor is that he's a distraction, he just wastes your fucking time and you try and go and gank him fifty times, you know. It's not as you say to be ash. It was it's not just much. Much. <laughs> the whole game, exactly, yeah. So like you know, it, I don't think it's Armit's fault. It's just that Armit had it's a, a job. Whole... Yeah, the, 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 so the, the philosophy is just flawed right now. And it's like Rogue went from ultimate farm jungle to ultimate gank jungle, but they play around, they play around both of those styles. Like they know the pieces and it just like, I don't, I literally cannot tell you what Reeker's strengths are. I do not know. But, I mean, can you tell me something? Like, I don't know what they are. I watch his, I watch his games and like, I don't know what, like nothing goes into my brain about Reeker. I mean, like, it's so weird because you look at his everything from last season and it, you, you think you're looking at a different player, really. Uh, you know, he tried to pull out the Aurelia, Renekton mid, a lot of his, um, you know, melee champions. He had been playing on the LEC and they just didn't find any success with that. There was that one game against Fnatic where he was, you know, he got solo killed in lane. Yeah, he got one back later, but you're playing Renekton versus Victor. If you're giving up a solo kill to a Victor, you know, his mission failed at that point. So... Yeah, as much as it's like difficult for the dude, he's not really had that much to go off of in this split. The question is, you know, um, what can you develop on there? What are you aiming to go, go towards with that? Is there an answer in terms of like, actually maybe Eldioia needs to go towards a more facilitating style break kind of trend with what he's been doing before? Well, that's quite difficult to do because that seems to be the strong point of the team, but your lanes aren't doing that for you. So you're left in this catch 22 where you need some, you need some give from somewhere in the roster. And it's just not there yet. Um, and obviously they're going to have to have a long like mid-season break to try and figure any of that out. Thing is, if you look at the champions, all your players as well, it's like, mate, if he actually had a really good mid laner, he'd be like a fucking MVP candidate again. Like, look at the ch he's played all the ones where you just smash jungle mid. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do wonder what would have happened if they picked up Hecarim earlier. I do think that Hecarim is insanely strong right now. And we saw that game versus Fnatic. It allows Elioia to be the early game farming guy and be the pathing guy to get maximum resources exert himself onto the map beyond like level six and stuff and we saw that work even against fanatic like we we're saying best team in the league currently um but it's too little it's a little too late and as much as you know he tried a couple of games of volleyball like that beforehand he's not really stuck to that and he's not found any success on on the viego really either so <laughs> i think the problem with volley is like what was so impressive about elio coming out as a rookie was that he was playing volleyball when other people weren't last mm. year and he was doing you know insane like 
popping out of like raptor pit to dive people under mid lane turret, but that would feed yep. humanoid. And like, it feels like there's a purpose to doing that because you're sacrificing late game strength to pull off some like crazy ganks that he was great at. And like, he's a great volibear player, but somebody has to, who's not him has to do things with those resources. And it just doesn't feel like that's it. And I'm not We're saying that Reeker is like actively losing them games. Cause he's not, he's just not doing He's, he's not the he's role not which the team needs <laughs> currently. And I mean, I think Unforgiven was that for most of the first part of the split. He was kind of being sure. that kind of... And the, the meta should absolutely give you the ability to do that through bot lane, but that hasn't been consistent enough. Um, so yeah, I mean, when you say like, you know, how do you triage, how do you fix Mad Lions? It's like, well, I mean, there's a whole dozen different things going wrong with them right now, and it's very difficult to solve at the end of it. As much, And you can have oh. the best coaching staff in the world it's a really hard to, uh, problem to contend with because um, it's kind of the, the opposite side of the coin to what they found last year in terms of having a roster with everyone on the same page and understanding like the philosophy of the game they want to play. It feels like they just have the opposite of that right now when you've got players who are pulling in different, different directions. So it's very hard to deal with. By the way, since earlier, Monty was saying, making that point about how like intuitive Counter-Strike is to watch. Here's one of the reasons why you genuinely need to have like 100 million people play League of Legends or we're never going to ever get those viewership numbers up. But Champions like Hecarima, why, mate? Because at the end of the day, if I tune into a Counter-Strike broadcast, I can go like, oh, what's going on here? Like, oh, so what are the teams? Is that going better than that one? But I'm already in the game. I can get the concept. If, again, I've always thought League was bad for this anyway with all the cutesy champions. But like, if you think of that like arcade Hecarim thing, if I just opened a street, and that oh, champion great, was on though. screen where it's got like fucking it looks like it has like sunglasses on it. it's got like a guitar or whatever it's a horse in metal yards I just instantly press the X mate I just close the thing down and go you know what what's this Minecraft thing you kids are into I can vaguely oh. get my head around that like this I'll, I'll take one party pony to go. I'm, I'm all on that. Gonna, <laughs> one day, they're going to release enough horse champions to have like the full horseman of the apocalypse comp and then it's going to be great it's going to be wonderful <laughs> They only have two now, unfortunately. What? Well, we got well I guess two. Kind of. All I'm going to say well... is if Riot had any balls at all, they'd just make an Ivermectin skin. <laughs> That's actually great. Great fire? Straight uh, they, fire uh, they'd also, uh, Doe and my joke is that they would... <laughs> Doe, Doe and my... <laughs> just be careful now, Mira. Just be careful. That's right. Smile Ivermectin. <laughs> there you go. Oh, God. <laughs> There you go. See, all I'm saying, right, is just fucking stop being, stop having your panties in a bunch and let the real creatives have a crack at this. See, they'll, they'll, they'll roll it out on the same patch that they roll out Alt Rise. That's that's my. Oh, there you go. There you go. That's no one's joke. Yes. And the joke is, it's like, Walker, Walker like takes the, Rengar Alt as well. Rise or? destroys. Alt Rise is instead of instead of it being called Realm Warp, his actual ability is he just moves the Overton window. So he just constantly moves the Overton window, and as a result, no one can. You never know where you are politically with Alt Rise. That's the thing. Exactly. It's okay. Right. Anyway, <laughs> I'm about to talk about things Damiro can join us on. Well, if he wants to appear on LEC broadcasts again, I will get rather last part. Yeah. If he wants to appear on LEC broadcasts. So, right. What about this then? Another team to talk about. I think this is one that's very interesting. As you said it before. You said because a lot of people share your opinion. By the way, Alfari did last week. A lot of people still essentially think Rogue will get found out in the playoffs. And they think, basically, privately, Fnatic is just the best team for real. And I have to say, there's an angle from which I can agree, but this is my problem. I actually think, if you look this split, they've had loads of fucking dodgy-ass games. And, like, for the first half of split, it didn't even look like Razork and Humanoid even met each other. It looked like they weren't even aware they were on the same team. But I will say... 
as mad as it sounds, because the rest of the league has been so all over the place and every team's mm. so patchy with the rosters. Dude, they they do nearly, even when they look like they're going to throw all these games, they still win them somehow. It's like it's like the flow of the roster is so insane. They just can't lose like less than fucking. They can't, as... It's like they couldn't lose six games this split. It just couldn't happen somehow. So if, in some ways, that gives me hope actually that the roster as, is mega. As long as the meta stays uh, for Fnatic, just like if you win bot CV two games, pretty much over. Um, particularly with how Healy is playing as well. I don't see Fnatic losing this split, um, unless you've got like a mega turnaround from G2 that managed to um, find a way to like leverage their really strong mid jungle in the early game. Um, I think that if the meta changes away from from bot lane to mid jungle somehow, some way, I maybe I'd favor G2 if they kind of get their shit together. They've had some awkward games too recently, but on the whole, I think that Fnatic have. Yeah, they've out they've out muscled and outbrawled their way through this. It's not necessarily the best outlook on the game at all points. Um, I think that hell, even um, upset was saying in the post game lobby from um, uh, their win versus Mad Lions again, the one which kind of Mad Lions threw to them. He's like, yeah, you know, we kind of they they had to lose that game for us to win. You know, I'm not necessarily happy with that. Uh, the the fact that they can get away with that is against you know what is a mid table team still is probably not a great indication for the region. I don't think the LEC is awful. I think that we've got some issues around, you know, not having great top planers right now outside of like Alfari. I think Alfari has been great the last week. Um, but you know, outside of that, you've got like Broken Blade who's set up for success or well, that's kind of it. I think that if, um, if Fnatic continue to play through the bot TV2, I don't see a world where they lose this split. I also think it helps that Brezark has looked a lot better in the last couple last of couple weeks. weeks yeah. And he's like, he seems like he's gelling better with Hillisang and the rest of the team. And Hillisang has also had some. <laughs> sure. Say, my take on that one, listen, again, it's obviously an abstract one because I'm not an expert about the game. But my take on the Razork one is this. Because again, I think the reason why I like to do these tangents on podcasts is an area I actually have an advantage over the plebs watching the show is they only know this video game and they might just watch like from last year or something. Whereas I've watched a lot of different competitive games. One thing I will say I'm getting the vibe about from Razork is this. I'm getting the vibe of when someone this happens. This it's most famous with managers in football, actually, like European soccer. If people don't know, there's a concept where you can where you're called a small club manager. Now that's someone basically where I would even maybe compare it to like Mac from Mad Lions. It's someone where your skill set basically is you have to find the 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 up and coming players because you're not getting the big names. You're not signing like the best player from last season. You have to find the talent. You have to mold them. You have to make a structure that can fit them in. You maybe even have to bandage for a couple of bad players. That you don't have the money for a defend left back or something or a winger or something. You have to do something creative with like a different formation, maybe. But the problem is this when that happens, since the guy has been so amazing with working with almost nothing, you will nearly always get a, offered a gig by one of the top teams. They'll go, bring that guy in. He looks fucking amazing. Uh, yeah. There's a very famous example of this, and people know, but I won't give the obvious example. And basically, what happens is when you come into the big, big team, well, suddenly you don't need any of the things that your skill set match. Like you don't need to find the next star. You don't need to bring. Suddenly you've just been given all the best players in the world, like internationals for different like mega players. And now it's a different skill set. Your skill set now is what would you do if you had the full arsenal? What would you do if you had the best player in this position? And that because that's a different skill set. Some people essentially you find out all they can do is the first thing. They just they never make the jump. And so and by the way, it can go vice versa. Famously, sometimes it's a great a coach thing gets in the military, fired. Actually, where you, where okay. if you're promoted in the military and it's like well. They're doing perfectly at this role, which we very much need here. Now they're getting pushed into like a desk position of blah, blah, blah. And that's obviously sure. just not, not what they have done to get to that point. It's not like a linear progression. Yes. 
So my problem basically is when I look at Razork's game, right? So when people were calling him, I think it's justified. It was my opinion as well. Last split, I actually thought he was an MVP candidate. I looked at that Misfits team and as much as, yes, Vethio had a better split and here it looked a lot better. I looked at Razork and I was like, dude, he might be like the best jungler of the whole league. This guy's doing really oh, well. Crazy. But yeah. think about it, right? He was working with rookies as his solo lanes. Essentially, in that scenario, beyond unless they have some enormous ego, he essentially, essentially, it was like it was his team. He probably decided what he wanted to do. By the way, I don't you even feel any like compunction about just doing whatever you want. That's now you're the veteran player. You're the one who's been around a while. These are players still proven themselves. They might even have limited champion pools. The problem now is he's been then given the call up to Fnatic, and in Fnatic they've said, right, here's the best team on paper. And by the way, every other player on your team has been all LEC, has been a star player. Player, might even have been an MVP candidate, which I think is the case for every player in his team, right? In that world, all of a sudden, if you're Razork, now it's not a question of can you play with that team? It's a question of things like, were you someone where you took for granted you got the green light? Were you someone where the team was based on what you wanted to do? Was it everyone else just follows up? On you? If you, Sometimes you walk into the room he walked into, and maybe in that room, it's like, right, Opset expects this from you. Wonder likes to be ganked in this way. Humanoid, well, listen, I played with El Yoyo and Chat. Just figure it out, mate. You'll know what to do. Like, sometimes the situation can be so different that even though you've got better teammates, you might end up looking totally lost. Because I've noticed this split... Listen, he's had some better games, but I still ne I've never felt like there was a synergy in that team. Like, I don't know what it is, because I still think he's a great player. He's facilitated more than he's been, like, the real playmaker. I think he's had some good Diana games, and I think that's that's because he can kind of come... He can just chill for the first however many minutes, and then just come into teamfights in level 6 and, you know, get two items on Diana, and you're more than ready to teamfight. There is actually the truth and the opposite of the analogy you're saying, too, though, in terms of, like, someone coming from a too-many-voices situation and making a really great team out of just having the whole team conform to your game plan. Oh, sure. Um, so, for instance, there was... There's a really interesting example from the LGL, which I'll ration myself to one thing today. Uh, so there's a player called Honey, who last year came from bottom place team, really shit. He's an AD carry, um, and he played for a couple of years, but he hadn't really achieved anything. Goes into a, team, into a team called Axes, and then for that year, he picks up the Jinx of Felios meta before anyone else does, kind of globally. And he was the highest DPM player of any world's qualifying region, like with like 750 or something like that across the entire season. So I think that different mindsets will cater towards different things. I think that Razork hasn't done too badly, actually. I think that he's taken a while to kind of even out. I think that he's... He's not the volatile player on that team. You just kind of let Hilly do their thing, and, and they'll do whatever. It very much helps that you have Humanoid. You can't play this style without, you know, Humanoid effectively just saying, mid's going to be fine. You don't need to worry about mid-jungle. You can just do whatever. I'm going to buy you time to become relevant, and you allow bot lane to do that instead to kind of play through your early game. But yeah, I think that it took a little while for Razor to kind of like utilize the space which he'd been given in an efficient manner, because sometimes he was just a little quiet. If people don't even know, by the way, there's even a famous example from last year, which is essentially, if you believe what he says in interviews, even Reckless did that. The premise was Reckless walked into G2. And whereas in theory, by the way, G2 hoped they were getting like the best ADC who's now going to help us like redesign the style of the team. And then the premise is he walked in thinking, well, I'm just joining the four people who won everything. So I'll just like sort of be quiet and let them do that. And the premise was they never sort of figured out the, the game plan until yeah. like halfway through the year. So I get this vibe about Razor right now. I will say you're still an amazing team. As we've said, like there's still plenty of reasons you should at least be in the final. Maybe even win really the split. Well. 
And you've got, a, again, you've got like a good coach. You could, for me, it's more like I'm looking forward to the playoffs the next split because they have to fix this. If they don't as well, by the way, here's the bad thing if you're Razork. Other teams, they'll they'll take a big name signing and they'll stick around. If the, if it doesn't work out with Razork, with how good the rest of that team is, I would replace you instantly, mate. I would, I'd gamble on someone else. I'm sorry, that's just the way it works when you're in a stacked super team. I can see some logic towards that. I mean, again, it does kind of come down to... It, it just feels like in Europe, it's more about cohesion than star power. But then that cohesion factor changes with the patch. It changes halfway through a season. I would imagine even that a lot of the teams that were built... Because remember that the teleport change happened like after preseason. It happened yes. after a lot of rosters were already written written in. And I wonder how many teams that's actually affected too. Um, <laughs> I just roll my eyes here. I'm just like, I, 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 okay, I, all right. GMing must be the absolute fucking worst. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I already built my team. No, can, you imagine, can you even imagine another spot? Because remember, Riot doesn't just tweak. Like, tweak's too kind a word for oh, the better. it's a major fucking they, game system. Yeah, they sometimes effectively just, you wake up and it's like, without your permission, they just like amputate both your legs. Like, what the fuck? But I'm a 100-meter runner. Like, so the, so the, that's being a GM. It's like if you were a GM in the NFL, right? And then you've signed an amazing, like, receiver call. They're like, yeah, that she is no wide receiver in American football now. Like, well, you could try him as running. And then, and then, Thorin, and then Thorin, you know I mean? like, here, here's, here's the, here's the, the shit frosting on the shit cake. They come out later and they're like, we think adaptability is the most uh, valuable trait of a professional player. And you're just like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel I feel really bad in particular because I mean, there was for instance there were so many midliners of like ever since like season eight when Silas was reworked, uh, well released rather Silas and Akali in particular who would like their whole identity as a player was I am TPing somewhere at level three to level six and clearing up kills. Oh gosh, yeah. You cannot do that now. You can't do that. Um, you have to stick in lane, and if you've played shit for the first three four waves, that's on you. And that has changed. A little bit of the landscape as to a lot of particularly solo laners have to uh, play things out. Obviously in bot lane, hmm, I mean, obviously it's been changed in terms of being able to play like high pressure lanes like the Jinx, Caitlyn and stuff like that. But every single lane has had major early game play options removed from them, which they would snowball into big mid game advantages. And that changes the way you have to view the game. You know what's sick, Monty? This is actually sick. Think how long I've watched League of Legends for. And usually my favourite players are the ones with insane longevity. Right? Think about the things that have been available this split. So first of all, think about the style of mid lane he just described. Fragging. Then let's yes. go. There's no TPs in the bot lane. You have to play 2v2 properly in the bot lane. Forgiven. And then there's the whole breaker for split pushing. Flame. None of these fucking players play actively anymore. Not a single one of these consoles plays official games anymore. They played like the whole time right up and now. And then they just quit. Do they? Oh, great. Thanks. Thanks, guys. I, I hear that Darian streams again. Maybe, maybe you can. Maybe, shall I fucking hell. Give me a break. maybe you can phone Darian up. He's been streaming recently. <laughs> Meanwhile, like I say, don't worry, who he and Wild Turtle are still around. Well, I guess to Wild Turtle's a coach, technically, whatever. I guess he's not. Hey, uh, he who he had a great year last year. Who he had a really good one. <laughs> <laughs> in my opinion, who he just proved that support doesn't exist except Core JJ in any. There's Vulcan, Core JJ, and then after that, you may as well say who he is. I had his Halo guys pretty good. Uh, not only that, but all of the uh, Thorin, like even the, the, big, the big dick top laners like Nogri are just taking a break right now, which. I like that's fun, I guess, for me. <laughs> it's all right. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure uh Nogri's gonna have enough of uh his break after MSI when uh Dom Juan goes and offers him a giant check. I think that's probably likely to happen at this stage, given Dom Juan's current performance and 
why they're having issues. But even with that, you know, I look at particularly EU top planners, I'm like, you go international right now, even with some of like the huge whales, like just not in the pool, um, that I feel like EU top planners are going to have a really hard time internationally. Uh, we don't have really um, like premier it, it, split pushes. Well, you look at that fucking top lane. Oh my God. It's like fucking. I don't even, I can't even make an extreme enough hyperbolic analogy. Like, it, it's like fucking Somalia or something, mate. It's like, what is this shit? Like, dude, if I, if, here's the problem, right? If I just even asked you to do your top three, it's going to get real depressing by like number three. That's how bad it is. Like, well, the problem yeah. is, is that Riot created years of top lane just being a cuck role. And now that you can actually, you know, fuck, uh, you, there's nobody left to fuck. I mean, if MSI will be okay because we have Alfari. Um, if he makes it, <laughs> if he makes it, but that's not going to happen. Alfar, really? Of... You think Vitality is going to be the team? That no, I think so. I was like, so okay. So my wit. So I I'm going into desperation mode. So I went through this mind thing of like, who's the top one top lane? Alfa Alfari, he's the top one. Only one top oh, lane that goes to MSI, and I'm like, no, he's yeah, yeah. actually going to be on the number one team. So that's actually completely irrelevant. You know, we're going to end up. I mean, I think we have okay, um, kind of pressure soak top planers we've got people oh, who can play. you know odo's gonna be fine on stuff like the, yeah. on the on the graves on on the um the orn and they're gonna be okay at, like nullifying some lanes but as we've seen in the lpl already like that's not really enough versus the top caliber teams out there so i'm a, I'm a little worried about top planers um from eu going international um just because of the style of play is it we have the defensive side of it kind of okay aggressive side of it, it it's just not gonna happen from what we are from the the top laners we're likely to send i don't think all right, at least Indeed. NA has Summit. He's pretty okay, I hear, yeah. Yeah, he's been doing great. But he might, he might not make it either. But Whipple will be fun, at least, internationally. I think NA actually will be okay. Whipple back, though. Yeah, yeah, so the joke is, if you're EU, we can't lose, can we? We just get Whipple back, and then we'll have Wonder or something go, so no problem. Let's just have, have, have that matchup again, internationally. That would be really cool, actually. I'd, I'd enjoy that. Speaking right. of which, by the way... Wait, so a minute, about vitality. wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you mean if Cloud9 is actually the team that goes... No, it's this that, dude, this that. People made fun of NA last year because, you know, like they sent like the three teams and then there was like fuck all NA players. It's worse now. Look at Team Liquid and Cloud9. Like, who's from NA? Like, I, essentially, you have to just lie and go like, Fudge is technically counters in NA, right? Like, that's all you got. That's you there's nothing left. There's blabber, whatever. Let's admit, okay. I don't think he's the player I want to be supporting and, internationally, personally, but you know, might just be me on that one. And, and I don't know, I was, I was quite happy with Winsome, his... Winsome, uh, technically Canadian. I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy with uh, Blabber's services to the, the Dead Nation Focus Me era of inting the Scuttle Crab. People forget that it was DFM on the other side of that. I was very yeah. happy with that play, so... Yeah. Uh, no, he's done me a great service. I'll remember it was that. a critical. I'll, I'll it was a him. critical match for TFM. <laughs> there it was one that didn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But made yes, it in some really ways, Blabber is the 21st century American. Look at him; he's out there in the international community, whether he's invited or not, trying to enforce his cultural standards and beliefs about how the world should be upon everyone else, whether it's appropriate or indeed even works. <laughs> you know, it's also a true to true to America. We really don't want. Uh, you know, I, I personally am embarrassed most of the time when Americans go abroad in, and uh, express themselves in other countries. So the key is just to not have any of them doing that. Well, the joke is, Monty, back in the day, in the early 2000s, a lot of people, if they would travel from North America, they were worried that people might see the country they come from as like totalitarian and really shitty and doesn't revalue human rights. So they would pretend back then to be Canadian. 
the the joke writes itself. The joke writes itself. You, you fill in the punchline. You see, spoiler, Uno reverse card. Uno reverse card. So anyway, whatever. Doing all the jokes today. Basically, all the jokes I can't join in on, but whatever. But what if, if, if we actually, you know, because obviously one of the great exports which America has is a lot of its entertainment industry. We could have the deadliest catch, like the, the crab fishing like show, just for blabber. Just blabber deadliest catch. That'd actually be a fire photo. Sure. <laughs> Someone get on it. There's so, I'm sure there are people in chat idea. who can do that. Send it to Nightmare on Twitter. There <laughs> the deadliest go. catch. <laughs> so good. Um, yeah, I actually used to live in Northern California where a lot of that crab fishing occurred. Oh, cool. Yeah, good times. Uh, so do we want to talk about Vitality a little bit? Because I think sure. now yeah, that you brought them well. up. Here's the yeah. good news. The good news is this. Despite the fact there were times when it was touch and go, the one thing we all needed from Vitality is at least make the playoffs, please. Because everyone's hoping that's when we can see what the real Vitality oh, is. At least, we can, at least that's happened. Mad. Yeah, at least now we don't have to worry about the world where they did like a misfit season nine and just don't even make the playoffs or just no. ruin the whole... So at least they're in the play. They're in the playoffs. Good news. The problem is now so much of this lineup, so much of what needs to happen in this lineup, right, is now all resting on that premise of like, but we can sort of fuck around and phone it in and then we'll do it in the playoffs. Like, listen, that whole like we'll do it in the playoffs has like it's like that old meme format you know like step one do this step, th step three question mark question mark step four win lec it's like yeah what the fuck is step three like what what are you gonna do between now and the end the finals to fix things because listen it's not impossible on paper but I'll tell you what i i can't see the solutions obviously this team looks messy as fuck i mean the one thing they have got going for them which i really liked out of this last week was just isolate alfari's winning matchup yep. they win games they have one winning game plan right now, and that's really fucking good. Don't let them have it. But for some reason, I mean, I think particularly like the the SK game really annoyed me because they put it was another Aatrox game. I, I it, it was an Aatrox experience. I'm not really sure it really counts as a gameplay at that yeah, point. Yeah, to be fair, they played they played Alfari into Aatrox twice this week. So I, I it, don't was, get it, it. So we can Just, play a game. Is it Alfari or is it? Enemy playing Aatrox. Alfari yeah, or Either Aatrox. way, but it's like, it's not even that. It's like, it's the Aatrox who doesn't get any jungle attention, and then like yep. the Gangplank builds Holebreaker, and then they can't even 1v2, like 2v1 him at that point. So, I don't know. Once I think you that's... fucked it up, we said it last week. The line is, is it OP or is it OP.gg? There you go. That was the line. Remember the Maybelline joke. There yep. you go. Whatever. We'll, we'll bring that back. That'll be back in the meme gombo next week. Yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah I, I, I do feel like Alfari was like the one person, like, sweet, that is a winning scenario. Keep drafting towards that. And yeah. I don't I don't get why, and particularly for SK as well in that one game, it felt like they had been succeeding by having really good nullifying top lanes, early drafting graves, building Holbreaker, perma-shoving in, no volatility in that lane, just just allow it to go into mid-game with, with, with full push. I don't think you ever want to give Vitality a top lane matchup that can fight early um, and can eventually scale into relevance in that game. So as long as they keep doing that, they're very dangerous, and that gives them time to work on other things. Now the question is, what else are you going to work on? Because I haven't seen much that's impressed me outside of that. As you said, it has been very messy. A lot of the fundamentals have been a little bit missing in terms of, again, stuff like their objective setup, the way that they play around side lanes and lane allocation. Their map play has been... Yeah. If you put them into an even fight, yeah, they can outhand you. They can just click the buttons really well, but... Getting I think to that my point, favorite, just, my like, favorite thing of Vitality is what what people should do is they should watch a Vitality game and then they should watch a, a T1 game because what Vitality what T1 does is that they will rotate their bot lane to take an objective and have good timings. Vitality will rotate their bot lane 
when there isn't an objective and do nothing and walk into the enemy jungle and like farm grump. And like, it's like they're the bad version of T1. Bizarre or T1. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's the, uh, the uh, B1. There you go. It's T1. B1, the vitality of the base. There you go. Yeah, can we have T1, T1 at home? <laughs> no, but go. seriously, like, I, I don't understand a lot of times. Goal. We've it's got like, to go as well. <laughs> it's like it's like Lebrov and Karzi are like desperate to leave their lane and like go help Alfari, but they end up just doing absolutely nothing instead. Oh man, there was something which they were doing as well, and I I I, I went pretty deep into this because I did like a little segment in one of the break bits in terms of like there have been some times where they will literally see the enemy jungler on a ward and they'll have like the whole bot side warded out and they'll see the jungler. They've just finished Raptors and gone towards top side, and they're like, oh bot lane's reset. Huh, that's the Jin stood alone in lane, so that Leona's not there at this point. Where oh, I watched that. It was be? a really good segment by you, by the way. It's like, where, where could they be? And they just turn up top lane, self-made. It's like, Drat, I thought it would just be the jungler. And then there's just a Leona. There you like, go. I, that was actually what, a really good uh, Telestrator segment by you. I saw that. Um, I, I finally I, defeated the Oh, God, the first <laughs> Telestrator one was... No, it was it, it was a really <laughs> salient point, is that... and But I, I brought this up on the show before, is that they don't even seem to be communicating basic wave states with each other. Like, I, like Alfari will literally watch a stacked wave coming into him, self-made will not go up, and then Alfari just gets dove. And I'm like... Yep. And literally, self-made will be on that side of the jungle. I'm like, why the fuck are you not just there? Like, I don't understand how these communication breakdowns are occurring between members of this team. Dude, here's so the you thing just I want to ask about. to build Hullbreaker, so he can win 1v2. There you go. Here's the thing. Selfmade is the player, actually, I wanted to ask the question about, because here's the problem I have with this team in general. As I would agree with Nymira. I think Alfari's the best top laner. I actually think Perks has had something of a bounce-back split. Like, he's looked pretty solid. He hasn't had that many sort of, like, up and down, like, in the game. Uh, or like you have to, like the action, yeah. yeah. Beyond that, but he hasn't had the sort of, like, in-to-win type mm. games he was in Cloud. He's actually looked pretty solid, actually. So the, my problem is this. So we've got the solo lanes nailed. Yeah, there's definitely problems in the bot lane. I'll give you that. But actually, here's my problem when I've watched this whole split with a Vitality. Is Selfmade is the most Jekyll and Hyde fucking jungler in the whole West. He either just carries the whole fucking game and will get like 10 kills on his main champs. Or he just sometimes looks like he does nothing and doesn't know what to do. And if I, I read an interview recently where basically he described himself as more of a follower. He's a guy like if someone else suggests something, maybe he'll like do it or like dude i get this vibe when i watch him in the game he looks like if he's on his chaps and he has the kills and the resources basically he knows how to 1v9 a game solo queue style but if he's essentially expected to be like x smithy he can't do it dude like so some of these drafts even my heart just sinks in the draft like nah, oh, fucking else but you've, you've, you've drafted for the, a different jungler than you've got like what is this but, but then typically in in greatest um like ironic fashion was uh, so in the first weekend I was casting, this was the XL game, and it was like Quickshot's first game back in ages. I've hard prepped for stuff like that, you know, like Selfmade is gonna like, he's gonna take a lot of resources for himself, eventually stuff like this. Fucking flashes in level one to get the first blood and then has Hex Flash, and you realize he has a Hex Flash, and I'm sat there like, I have all of these prepared, and all he's going to do now is Hex Flash into lanes. And that's what he did for like the first like 10 minutes, completely like, doing the opposite of everything he'd done for the last few weeks. Doesn't even win the game because mid-game gets really weird, but yeah, he's been so difficult to kind of pen down himself because he's had some, you know, he had like that Kiana game in their first game versus Fnatic where he gets 10 kills and he's got a lot of resources and he's doing really well um, having the individual agency. I, I don't, I don't really know what to think about self-made because he's had so many just strange one-off performances 
randomly impacting the map or not at all. It's really hard for me to like characterize this player because he's given a lot of room to work with with his solo laners. And the team is not really coordinating to get him into the right place at the right time to actually use any of that space. Like, basically, here's the main problem. I'll summarize it in one sentence. He looks like he has some of the best mechanics of any Western jungler I've ever seen. Spoiler, that's not really, like, the best quality to have for a fucking jungler. Meanwhile, his actual decision-making, maybe the most important thing for a jungler, seems a bit suspect. So it's like... Like, whoever made this D&D character fucked up. Like, they put too many points they in the mechanics. They, they maxmined. <laughs> you should have had a little bit in, like, you know, fucking whatever, like, intelligence or something. like. <laughs> Obviously, their joke is they took them all out of social skills and just put it all into, like, fucking Kiana or something, like you're saying, aren't they? Like, give me a break. There's what? actually a dedicated Kiana stat. Actually, it's very simple. You You've got strength, dexterity, Kiana. <laughs> yes. Well, it, I think it's, it's really... I also just don't see like the problem is I don't see any synergy with him with Lebrov, and then I That's don't see any thing. I don't see any synergy with him and his and top either with Alfari like Alfari just randomly dies because he's not there or like they're not communicating where the other jungler could be it, it and like you're saying Nymeria as you pointed out on the broadcast they they know through process of elimination or through wards or through a combination of these two things where people are. And they still die. And that's very weird. Whose idea was it? If you have Alfari as your top laner, why would you give him these junglers? Cersei, fucking Santorin, not even that, then fucking Grig, and then now <laughs> bloody self-made. Like, can I just please have a ganking jungler for the love of God? I'm like the best laning to ever be. I'm literally the best laning top laner to ever play in the West. Can I please have some ganks, please? Like, this is metal, mate. It's like some nightmare simulator. What is this? <laughs> I think the, I think the concept though was that they were going to play weak side AD with this roster, but again, they couldn't have known that this is kind of That's like true. You sort of have to play through AD now, right? yeah. Like they, the they first couple of... of weeks, they did the opposite. Like I think Alfari was like the lowest jungle percentage, like proximity or whatever it was, um, like in the first three weeks or so, and then they started stepping it up afterwards because they tried the opposite, and now they're starting to realize, well, let's just put more into Alfari. So I, I think they took a while to discover what they wanted to do in balancing the map. I think that a lot of teams are funneling AD resources right now. Yep. So they probably felt pressure to do that, even though this team was not constructed to funnel resources into an AD player. And then Kazi's like playing stuff like Ezreal out of meta as well, a couple of games, and it's like, can't really do that in this meta. Just, uh, it doesn't really fit the, uh, doesn't fit the MO. I mean, it doesn't help that Kazi is one of the, historically has been one of the worst Aphilios players in Europe in a very Aphilios meta. Yeah, if you can't play Aphelios, I think you just ban both of them and try and... Uh, I mean, the problem is then you have to ban both first round, which is just really difficult to draft around, but I think that some teams have got to start doing that because obviously they're not winning through the bot lane meta. But we'll Here's the sad thing, though, mate. Here's the sad thing. On the one hand, you might think from all those criticisms I just gave that like a purely rational, hyper-intellectual adult... Well, I don't think they actually exist, but people pretend to be like that. You might think that I would now have the patience and the discipline... Nymira to tell you that Vitality won't do anything in the playoffs. But here's the problem, mate. Sell me, I'll me, key, then. Sell me I will, them. I will literally never, I'm not joking, never 
give up on the idea that Perks can win a best of five series until he loses. I don't give a flying fuck. I will always believe it's possible. I'm a stan. When it comes to playoff scenarios, which I, got, I, I have to be me. He's just, he's not, I'm not joking. He transcends League of Legends, by the way. I've, I've seen so few players who are like Western League, uh, just like great esports. But there are so few people who are as clutch as this guy. It's fucking mental, mate. So I have to see him lose before I believe he can lose. And he's did. had a couple of really good games in the last couple of weeks too. Zillion has actually been really... Okay, besides him misclicking the jungler instead of the AD carry with his ult that one fight, uh, that was a pretty awkward one. Like, he's had some really good games recently. Oh. Um, the pool also looks mega, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know the fact that you can pull out stuff like the Zillion where it feels like it's very strong. Uh, I mean, I'm not, not entirely sold on the pick all the time, but uh, I think that it is... Like, I mean, you can see how it's doing in solo queue and the rest of it. As much as that's a bad analogy for pro play, I, I think that when Perks is on form, there are very few players which transform a team around him like he does, and Vitality need that right now. Um, but as long as they get into the playoffs, again, that was, that's, that's rule one. Let's do that, and then we'll see what happens after that. Well, I mean, that's pretty much guaranteed now. It, it would take I a pretty epic run for it them would, not to It would be playoffs. hilarious if they didn't. I the other problem is this. Yeah. I can't lie. I have effectively, literally rewired my brain to be broken about perks because I was one of the only people. I did that with who, Aria. It's okay. I was I've one of the only it. people who, you can go back and check every talk show episode. There's loads about there, boys. I was one of the only people who said I didn't think it was impossible for Cloud9 to win games in that group at Worlds because I just, mm. like I said, until I see perks beaten... I, I, I believe, mate. I believe. I don't believe in God, fucking UFOs, but I've got perks. It's like, I don't even want to believe. I just believe. I take out the want part. Someone make that poster if you've got skills. I'm fucking no, you, you know that, you know the, um, you know like the Homer Simpson thing with like, don't forget you're here forever. Just like do it for, just just do it for perks. <laughs> well, perks is here forever. There you go. That's, right. That's yeah. my poster. In, in play exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's perks. It's like, don't forget, like Thorin's thinking of you. <laughs> oh, and also here's the other good news though. Here's the good news. When you make a roster as expensive and as star-packed as Vitality's, you could be really worried, by the way, that, like, for example, they might just hang on to all the players and never make any changes. The good news is this as well. Like, I, I don't know how much say he had in Cloud9. I get the sense it's more of an org thing there. I, Perks won't sit around if this team actually can't win. If this team, like, shits the bed in playoffs and they prove... Yeah, he I seems to be pretty hands up, yeah. He'll make sure something gets done. Something will get done. And I think the thing with someone like Perks as well is that he's seen winning rosters already. So you, and there are some things which are kind of you have to pick up by by experience on that in terms of just just seeing it happen. So yeah, I think that he'll bring a level of um, pragmatism to that team. But the question is, you know, where does that kick in? How does that kick in? And as much as you know, there needs to be a change. What's the change which will actually fix that team? Okay. Well, the change that will fix what's going to happen in the rest of this episode is Nymeria will leave and we'll do viewer yeah. questions. Yeah, that's just what it is. It's been a long show, but we've got to get some in there. So you'll see him on the LEC at some point. Is it actually known, by the way? And are you allowed to spoil it? Tell us when you're next on LEC. I actually you know? have no idea. I'm not really okay. sure on the rule. I'll be around. You know what's yeah. you know what's weird, Nymeria, is that they wouldn't have you on for Super Week this next week when you would think there would be more games. So you would want more people to give. So, I mean, to make it easier. The initial plan was I was going to be on for three weeks, and they were like, hey, do you want to come back? I'm like, sure, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah we're aware yeah, of that. So, <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm aware of whatever. But yeah, no, I, I was back for that. I'm like, sweet, cool. I'll come back for oh, that. Oh, by the way, technically, I don't think the point. producer heard us there, but the producer just talked for a second and said we were on there. But we're, we're fully aware That's of that. Fine. That's fine. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. No. Right. I'll uh, be around. We didn't want to spoil anything. Out. We thank you for the <laughs> yeah, discretion. Fair enough. All right. All right. We'll now do the break thing, and then we'll be back with your questions.
Right, we're going to do the last section, which is, of course, the viewer questions from people who are the grog coin holders. We've explained that a million times. So we're not going to explain it every single time, whatever. Some weeks we will What are the Discord? So, yeah, there you go. People already have the grog coin, no, and have already asked the question. Spoiler, you wouldn't ask the question right now anyway. You have to essentially ask for next episode. So Monty's going to go through and look for some of the questions that look interesting, and we'll just answer them as we please. All right, here we go. Do you think imports playing abroad should be considered to represent their home countries for Asian games like Viper, Tarzan, Rookie, Core, JJ? Additionally, which Korean players would you like to see their conscription requirements waive the most? Uh, all of the good ones is the answer for Korean players. Like clearly Faker is so key to uh, the global pop popularity of League of Legends and T1. Like it would and will suck if he has to go to the military for the entire game, like the entire esports scene, will suck more in League of Legends because Faker is not playing. What's the question? The first part, something like, essentially, can Viper play for Korea in the Asian games? No, would we? Question. Should uh, questions? Do you think imports playing abroad should be considered to rep? So, like, they can't play for China in like the Asian game. Yes, to me that seems obvious because essentially Asian games is sort of like an Olympic setup. It's even yeah. how they're actually flexing it with the fact that if you win a gold medal, they they implied in the future they're going to let you off the military service that like we were talking about. Yes. Yeah. So I think it's logical they should play for Korea, yeah? Yep, I agree with that. Now, I will say, as as a sidebar on this topic, I actually hate uh, when team sports go to international competitions to represent their country. Because I think nationalism is stupid, and because I don't want to watch... Like, what's the, 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 the crime of things like the World Cup is that you get... Worse teams with no synergy because they all have to go and play for their home country, right? You're not even getting the... Why is the most popular tournament in soccer the one with the worst teams? Like, you actually could have better teams most of the time if you played with Champions League teams that have established synergy over years and competing and practicing together. So for me, what tilts me is I don't care about nationalism so I just want to see the best possible competition, and you're giving me dog shit competition by forcing players to play in rosters that they don't normally play in. So fuck that. Fuck all those forms of competition. Fuck the Olympics. That isn't individual sports, etc. I will say people generally, I know it's in league especially, people are so horny for this idea, but they've never actually sat down. Like, for example, I'll give you a case. Bizarrely, in Europe, there's like an, an inordinate amount of good players from Slovenia, believe it or not, where like Mickey X is from, for example. But it still barely makes a five-man lineup. What people do is they just scoff it because they think mentally, Monty. They don't actually run the experiment. Try on paper, for real. If you're a fan who thinks a World Cup would be interesting, now or any point in any league history, make what the World Cup would look like. Make the real five-man lineups. And when you quickly find out that beyond, like, Denmark and maybe Poland, you can't even make teams out of fucking, like, Europe that would be competitive with Korea. So what you don't realise is, you think in the short term, like, but Denmark would be insane. Yeah, they, Denmark might be insane, but everyone else would be whack except Korea and China. So, spoiler, it would actually just be a worse version of what League of Legends yes. currently is. Yeah. Anyway, it's terrible. whatever on that one. It's terrible. It's not, it's, 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 it sounds good on paper, but it's never usually as good in practice. Yeah. Uh, in a hypothetical scenario where you owned or were never forced to sell a League of Legends team, would you hire LS as your head coach? Uh, my answer to that is no. I would hire him as a strategic coach because I think he offers very interesting uh, ideas, um, is obviously ex has an extraordinary work ethic, um, is creative, like thinks about the game in his own way. Um, but I think that he, for the way that most teams are operating these days, he is still a bit on the younger side. And I think that you can hire 
somebody like take for example you know somebody like Giotto or somebody like that or or Grabs who we know has very good interpersonal skills and i think that there's probably a great way to implement Ellis's ideas through a filter that would be better than having him be a head coach in my opinion yeah basically the analogy i would give is this LS isn't supposed to be the CEO. He's supposed to be like the fucking chief advisor or like a guy who's a specialist that you bring in. And the premise goes, he feeds his ad suggestions to the CEO. And then the CEO is the one who makes the choice as to whether you should do that. Because the problem is, for head coach, I think LS is actually inappropriate for that role. You think of some of the things you'd want from a head coach, you want things like reliability, emotional stability. Like, there's a million things. Like, listen, he's my mate, but he's already falling down like a motherfucker at all these points, and he, like, it's not working out for him. No, so no. it's not about skills. It's about what you bring to the table. Here, Here's the analogy, and I'll probably fuck this up, Thorin, so you can tell me if it's accurate because I'm not a big basketball fan. But the way that the Bulls used Phil Jackson as opposed to Tex Winter. Now, Tex Winter was the guy who implemented the actual strategy of the triangle offense, right, Thorin? And Phil Jackson was the one who was managing some really big personalities on the team team and like to me i would rather have ls be like the tex winter guy than the phil jackson guy Is that yeah a fair it's, analogy actually, to make? it's actually the reason why I, i've pointed out on these shows and it might get lost on fans what i don't get is this cloud nine has come to me unsolicited on many many moves they've made in history or even before they make a move sometimes just ask what do i think of this guy this guy what's bizarre is this is one of the only times ever where they didn't say anything at all to me and yet the joke is even though he's my friend i would have told them oh, i would really not suggest hire him as their coach like i think this is not going to work for these but they didn't ask this is the one time they didn't ask believe it or not so again it's not about whether you like the guy it's about whether he could do the job in me yeah, and I, I think it's a bummer not to have him involved in a coaching role because some really cool shit was coming out of it and it was really fun to talk about, frankly. By the way, here's another thing to say as well. I even think for LS it's bad. I don't think he's suited to that role. The problem he has is this at the moment in League of Legends. It's what used to happen to me when I had to be the editor-in-chief of all these websites. I wasn't very suited for that role. Like, I can do like the editing part. I just don't like working on other people's stuff as I like working on mine. But I had to take the gig back in the day because it was the only way you got the power to do what you wanted in your own part of the industry. So I feel like... Head coaches like that for LS. In a realistic world, we'd be already 20 years down the line and there'd be so much money, he'd get paid a king's ransom to be this like a remote coach, assistant coach, whatever. There's just in the current scenario, it's not actually worth the time for him to do anything except be a head coach. But it's just unfortunate he's not really it's not really the appropriate way he's at in his life to do that role right now, unfortunately. Well, it's also the same problem with uh, kind of Western esports in general, where if you are a big streamer, it's better for you to be a streamer as a player, as a coach, sure. as whatever, than it is because you just get paid more money. So unfortunately, uh, we've created a stupid cult of personality in Western esports that is more profitable than actually being good at the game you're you're working with. So Good on us George for doing that, guys. Doublelift basically hacked the system, didn't he? Because the only thing that used to ruin Doublelift's great marketable personality was when he kept losing in the bloody game. Well, the joke is that he doesn't even play in the game, so now we can just say everyone's shit, and then the whole time, it's like, well, there's nothing can come back to wreck me now. Yeah, so now it just works. Now the, now the brand just hits every time, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> All right. And uh, also, we'll say it low-key. No one's even thought of this angle yet of the revenge. If you really wanted to fuck with Reggie, you know, only has Lena for real... 
He's also taken it from the TSM org. Like, this guy, this guy, I, listen, I just didn't like TSM. This guy must have a fucking blood or revenge oath against him. Fuck it, up, mate. He's destroying him completely. This is some, like, Monty Crystal, Monty Crystal level shit, mate. It's just Doublelift, isn't it? Fucking hell. <laughs> By the way, I'm saying Doublelift has never read the character. I thought he could even watch the movie. He'd get bored halfway. There's no anime shit, is there? <laughs> he'll, he'll do something now, like, uh, you know, team up with Vulcan uh, and then destroy TSM. That would be there that would go. be the ultimate blow yes. the double lift vulcan lane exactly <laughs> obviously the dream is that at some point in time like reginald essentially doesn't have a team or job anymore and then vulcan just like passes him a fucking mcdonald's application thing or something. <laughs> that's how this needs to end guys that's the end of this version of avengers endgame that's the end like that with reggie just vanquished i i will say thorne i was i was a bit impatient because it did take 10 years uh for Reggie to actually have his true character be known to the world, which is amazing because it was caught on film. I, like, I, I was waiting for, you know, if it, I will say eventually if, if people behave badly enough and are incompetent enough, they will eventually collapse. I didn't think it was going to take this long, but it is satisfying at least that it's happening now. It is. It's, 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 it's not, it doesn't say good things about the esports industry that this didn't happen sooner. That's all. Do you know how much you tilted me? That I, I, here's how I heard about it, right? I just heard people going, did you see Double F's criticism of Reggie? And I was like, what? No, where is it? And they were like, oh, it's crazy. He was pulling up all clips and everything, Reggie being abusive. And I was like, holy shit. I went in and it was just the game Crips clips. I'm like, those are the clips from 2013. Like, you're now acting as though it's like, you know that you know that meme they put on the internet where you'll do a thing where it's like, you know, there's like a woman, who, like, a, like, like a Latin woman with like amazing tits and arse. And then the joke is like, you know, in the background, there's a boat or something, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> the joke is like the male eye would just look at the woman, wouldn't it? Right. The joke here is that you're all like, can you know, if you sort of like freeze frame it, you can almost see like Reginald's being abused. It's like, that was all that was on camera. There wasn't even anything else. In fact, the whole scene was even sort of like, and now our owner's being a bit of a fuck up. It's like, it was even the TSM documentary for fuck's sake. It's not even like it was like hidden, ca like candid cameras. Like, he, 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 he even signed off on it being put out for fuck's sake. The whole thing's so ludicrous, isn't Dude, it? I, I know. It's so I, bad. I did feel so bad. I, I will say over the years, and especially when that stuff came out, I did feel like I was maybe going insane because the whole world oh, no. was just gaslighting me that this was acceptable behavior. And I was like, hello, and anybody, anybody oh, looking no. at this over here? Now people are making it seem like it's like the Mandela effect. Like, you won't believe this. It turns out Reginald is evil. Like, <laughs> what? What's going on? this? Anyway, whatever. Next question. <laughs> also, Thorne, I love that we did the watch party with the Game Cribs like two years ago. And we even brought these clips back up oh, recently. No. And by the way, a hundred thousand plus people watched that sh shit that we made and still it didn't really have any effect like fucking crazy. Anyway, uh, scene, I made a change that surprised fans and made statements that provided no meaningful insight into the decision reports from players, coaches, etc., involved are veiled non-specific regarding awareness of issues and portray an amicable nature to the event in the no industry personalities point to fans lack of behind the scenes knowledge to curb speculation, but withhold any meaningful information they may have. I actually think nobody actually has information on this issue. Oh, no, I will uh, say this. I've, I've tried even like, let's say just like drawing on my source network. Every person has a different story on this one. Monty. Yeah. Like I've never seen yeah. as many comments. This is almost like some high school shit. Like the story just changes and it's like yes. this person was wrong, but then the other person was totally wrong. And the other one, like it, it, if anything, it's like the signal noise has made it harder to know what the fuck could have happened. I, I mean, I've heard things, but haven't been able to substantiate really anything about it. Um, so it's, it's like, Everything I've heard has been secondary sources. I have no primary sources on this. Uh, so it's it's hard to tell what, what's been going on. Um, 
I I don't know how much of this because LS says that he can't say things because of lawyers. Like how much of this is going to turn into a legal dispute over his contract? Like I think probably, you know, I don't know if I speculated because he wasn't saying things about C9 that probably C9 did pay out at least a part of his contract, but maybe maybe they will in the future. Maybe they will. Maybe they're not, and he wants. He wants them to, maybe they're not paying as much as Ellis would like, and he would like, you know, his full contract. I don't know anything. Okay, guys. So- I will say, by the way, I know, like, from the few lawyers I know in esports, for lawyers in general, they do think it's a nightmare. That, like, <laughs> remember, it, the, the perfect scenario for a lawyer, as far as I know, is this, right? I've got the case. The case is done. Now, I, what we need to do is control all the information in this case, guys. So we're not going to say anything to anyone about this, and we're just going to go to court and we're going to try the case. In esports, it's like, what's that? So we haven't even gone to court yet and they've already done a twit longer and a video and they've told every single detail and rumors and like made un- like unsubstantiated like, oh, fucking hell. Like, like the joke is like, if you're the lawyer, you should tear your hair up before you can go to court, aren't you? Like, so the premise is, believe it or not, this might be the only time ever LS is actually nailing it. Like so far, he hasn't given any of the key information out yet. And if he doesn't do that, that might actually help his case as far as I can tell. Yeah. So anyway, I don't think anybody does know. And I, no, I my my take on it, is that if I was cloud nine, I would have just spilled everything. I would have just, I would have just gone and put it all out there. Um, I, I don't know why they're not doing that. Like I've said previously, Jack is very conflict averse. He was also dealing with his father, unfortunately, who died this past week. Um, and it was, you know, in hospice care and Jack's been very like, open on social media about talking about that. And so he was going through a personal tragedy and maybe he just, you know, he he was trying to help the team as much as possible, but didn't have the extra effort to put in the, the PR. Just you know? to emphasize, in case people don't know what you mean by that, as in, it's not just that coincidentally, he just got a call one day, like, oh, you've had a family tragedy. As in, it was one of those ones where they move the person back because they can't do anything for them. And it's just known you're going to essentially give them painkillers until eventually they yeah. no longer are alive. So unfortunately, essentially, this will be a scenario where the whole last few weeks, I'm sure this was like the main thing yes. in the back of his head. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's been ongoing for, for quite some time. I mean, he, several months ago, Jack announced it publicly. It's obviously yes. really sad. Um, his father was very close. To, you know, Jack and his father were very close. His father was at all, you know, Bob was at all the esports events. I know Bob yes. quite. I even yeah. met him when I went one Yeah, time he's a lovely he man. Like, it's really yeah. fucking sad. He was really active in the, in, in the scene. And, you know, it's it, it sucks a lot. Uh, so I think in, in Jack's case, like, you, he he had to deal with his team internally first, which is obviously the order of operations that you go. And maybe he didn't have the time or energy to deal with the public nature of this. Um, and I think that's fair. Uh, so, you know, it's hard to know what's going on. I it, If that scenario didn't exist, my take is that Cloud9 should have just been extremely transparent yes. uh, with this because I think they ended up work, looking worse by not being transparent. Right. Um, but I don't know. Maybe there are other reasons because I don't know the reasons. So that's that's my kind of ignorant take on this. Situation. Also, even though I suspect if I had to like imagine what the intentions might be a cloud nine, I think there's even an angle, by the way, where they think they're doing a favor to LS since they cut him so early. Like, well, you know, let's not say whatever he did or whatever he might have done that might, you know, make people hate on him or it might haunt him and follow him around the community. Like those stories follow people like LS himself and Ocelot and any, basically anyone who's ever done anything vaguely considered wrong. It just haunts you forever in esports. People bring it up if they hate you. Right. There's a world in which I could believe that but my problem is this 
I think when it's as extreme a situation like this, like you fired someone two weeks in, this reminds me, Monty, of this case that has happened a bunch of times in League and Overwatch, where they will ban a player or suspend a player, but they'll be very vague. They'll just say he used language that was not wrong. Now, here's the problem I have with that, Monty, is in the modern day, especially knowing the impact of media and knowing that people will witch hunt, yep. when you actually leave it vague, that means if I didn't do the worst thing, I essentially get punished as if I did. So in the case I gave example there of when people get punished for like things they've typed in solo queue i actually need to know in this scenario i need to know did he just type like guys what the fuck why don't you ever gank like that's very different like being obnoxious from if he typed loads of racial slurs or wrote some outrageous thing so in the same scenario one reason i don't like this situation here is because for both cloud nine and ls it's just allowing people to project things that seem way more extreme than even the stories i was hearing so now people really yep. think that like did someone like have a fight or did someone do something like you i don't even want the world where that's on the well, table i'd rather it was just like at least give us like a don't have to be too specific, but give us like the 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 nature of what it was that caused the the dispute. You know, and, and here's the thing, guys. Like people behave differently in person than they do online. Like and like oh, you gosh. can't know how it's going to be to have somebody full time in an environment. Even and this is the most outrageous take by fans, by the way, which is like, well, you knew what you were getting with LS. It's like, no, you knew the theoretical aspects of his coaching, which obviously Cloud9 signed on to, but you don't know how it's going to be implemented in the flesh in person. And here's something for you, Thorin. I'm not actually sure Jack has ever met LS in person before this. I, I don't know. Might he may have been in Korea, but I doubt it. He it may have in Korea, but, might but at the same yeah. time, like LS didn't meet a lot of people face, That's face true. in person. Yeah. And during the pandemic, Jack wasn't going anywhere. So it's not like he yes. flew out to Korea to interview LS. So the fact that these people hadn't necessarily met or interacted in person or the in-person implementation of the strategies is perfectly reasonable. And people will say, well, Cloud9's incompetent because they didn't you know, give it time. It's like, Actually, my take is it's a competent organization that can identify that there's going to be an impasse early and just get rid of the problem instantly, right? And say, we know we can extrapolate where this is going. It's not meshing with our structure within the org or there are certain core issues. And so we need to get rid of it as fast as possible because it's better for LS and it's better for us in the long run if we don't just pussyfoot around and wait for this problem to get bigger or see that it like pretend it's going to get solved when it's clearly not going to get solved. There's a core difference here. Uh, so in my mind, it's actually better for C9 and better for LS that the disruption has been minimized as much as possible to both of their existences moving forward. And no, I don't think that C9's remote, you know, uh, identification of LS or their their remote interview process, it, it means that this was necessarily a good fit for the team. So we can just get rid of that. Uh, why did, I don't even know what this is supposed to mean. Why did Reggie give all yellow rabies? I, I don't know what, I, I don't, I don't get the joke. <laughs> but Powder 420, classic question from you. <laughs> uh, any updates on future plans for Grog beyond SI questions? We will do stuff eventually, guys. Just, just huddle in the meantime. Most of you, your, the value's gone up significantly. Almost everybody, so. Uh, we do want to do merch. We do want to do live event stuff. We do want to have other applications for Grogcoin, yes. Um, <laughs> with former friends turned bitter enemies Colby Covington and Jorge Street Judas Masvidal fighting this weekend, what is the grudge match you most want to see in League of Legends? Come on, Reggie versus Hotshot. Let's go. Let's pull back the classic. I don't know. Right now, I think I'd rather see Reggie versus Doublelift. 
That's true. Because here's the other thing. It's going to be spicy as fuck with who's corner and double lifting it. Ooh, all I'm saying, that's boys. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that's, I like to get the emotional fucking dagger in there as well, not just like the classic one, you know. The promos for that could be great too. Uh, you know. Um, I would, would love a good to see... one would be Carlos versus Sam Matthews. Yeah, I'd love to see uh, Mark Merrill versus Dom. That'd be, that's a good one. That'd be a good one. Go. That also has got some deep fucking lore to it, if you know the history going back. It's not just the recent shit you know, boys. All right, we have a CSGO question. Should FaZe be thinking about booting their all-time legend Rain and signing JKS for those guys? For those of you who don't know, FaZe won with JKS as a substitute. I am Katowice. That happened this last weekend. And who of them would give FaZe the most chance to finally get that major win in May? So Rain, who has played... Hasn't he played for every single game of phase ever yes. up until this point so he's been the longest running member of the team until the until the semis yes, yes. uh the basic problem is this that's the main reason why people can't actually think of this as like a real like football trade of like should you do the the problem is obviously if you're a fan of the team you have the ultimate like bias towards this player who's never not been in the team and more importantly he's always usually been at least pretty good or like a competent player blah 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 the problem is this I do think Rain's like seen a lot better years in the past JKS look I can't know how he'd fit I mean he played like different roles and different lineups in this team but put it this way like I did think he added like an extra element I thought they looked really interesting I would love to see how Carrigan would use JKS permanently so I personally I would make that trade like I would do it or at a minimum I'd sign him as the sixth player and you know like make you compete for the spot or I thought it looked great I would love to see that lineup play more tournaments don't you think that part of FaZe's success, though, is probably because nobody had film on JKS with FaZe, so a lot of the prep wasn't super valuable? It helps a bit, but you have to realize, because the two teams that were playing in the final were like brand new teams, basically, with like massive overhaul. Like, it meant that actually it was sort of just like you just, it's almost like you just play the That's match fair. and see who's playing well. I don't think it was as much of a strategical game as like CS usually is, you know? Uh, to, and also, part of it was Navi's performance, which is the next question from uh, Mike Chu. Do you think current world events affected Navi's performance at IEM Ketavica almost certainly. Forget Navi. There was three CIS teams and yeah. all three lost all their matches. Between them, they didn't win, I think, a single map. They might have won one map. I don't, no, I don't think they won a single map and they all looked way worse. And here's the problem. Of the three CIS teams, if it had only been Gambit that underperformed, that's fine because that's what Gambit is in their narrative at the moment. Like They get to the big match on stage, but they haven't got very much experience, so they're not expected to win. The problem is, Virtus Pro normally is one of the hardest teams to beat. They just capitulated the Sepa map completely. And Na'Vi, look, if you've just seen Na'Vi play the last year, they've never played as bad as this online, I don't think. So unfortunately, I do think, if you look at the, the combined like amount of people we're talking about here, it's just too much for that to be a pure coincidence. And before anyone says, like, but Monacy played well. First of all, Monacy just played well, but we've never se- we haven't got the A-B test on it. We've never seen him play any other lands. And then secondly, he's also Russian, which in this case is a little bit more significant. I'm more worried about the Ukrainian players than I am the Russian players in this circumstances, even though I will say, thanks to what a shithole community esports is, I saw loads of people trying to witch hunt everyone Russian and try and force them to publicly out their own country while maybe even living there, which could have real-world consequences on you. Yeah. By the way, don't ever demand someone else take some moral action that they have to suffer the consequences for. You do you, you do what you think's morally right, and you let them worry about themselves. So anyway, that's by the by. I think overall, unfortunately, as much as everyone hoped it wouldn't be the case, it's why I purposely said on Twitter, I didn't put pressure on them by saying, like, imagine if you... I just put, like, I would get it if Na'Vi failed. Just think how cool it would be if they could win in spite of it. That's the way I think you should frame it. In any scenario, brother, not just war, if someone's having a kid, if someone's family member dies. What I always say is this, 
that is the ultimate get out of jail free card. If you, if you, by the way, if you choose even not to play the match, I don't blame you. But if you play the match and you can then somehow play epically well, I think you get even more props. That's the way I do it, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I think it's probably, it's very understandable that you know, Navi is concerned about their homes, friends, family, way of, you know, returning to their way of life because Navi's entirely based out of Kiev, right? So. You know, so it's, it's awkward. Disrupts their, disrupts their career. Disrupts remember, their family. dude, their team as well is literally Ukrainian and Russian players. Yes. You've also got that awkward thing of like, like, remember in that scenario, like who even wants to have those conversations with people or, or being different. So like it, 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 I think it threw the whole chemistry of the whole, like I say, all the CIS teams off in my opinion. Understandably so. Remember yeah. as well, it's not even just, by the way, as simple as their countries are at war. Some of them might even be thinking, can I ever return? Remember at the moment, you can't like leave the country if you're the age of these players. Like at this point in time, some of them might even be thinking like, fuck, am I ever going home? Am I seeing my family? It's, 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 I don't think anyone's ever been in this situation in esports, to be fair. Yeah, and there's also probably enormous pressure on the Ukrainians because, as Thorin says, they can't leave the country because they're expected to fight right now. Like, even if they can return, are they are they yes. going to have to go to war themselves? It's like a yes. real question. That's fucking scary. So, I, I mean, hard to play well under this. What I would say is this. The one problem is this. Everyone's analyzed all the angles like this of, like, what happens now. Obviously, the one part I think people really haven't thought about, because unfortunately it's going to put a real damper on CSGO, is remember, as I've just alluded to, at the moment, some of the absolute best CSGO teams, including the number one team, are from the CIS region. Well, here's the bad part. At the moment, with how it currently stands, if any of those players go back, as far as I can tell, there will be no Russian players in Counter-Strike anymore. Until this whole thing is resolved, they will not be able to leave and they will not be able to attend the tournament. So, I don't, unfortunately, it, who knows what's going to happen in the next few months. Like, there could be a world where CS has essentially like got a massive asterisk next to it for three months. Who knows? Who can possibly know? Yeah, and it, it's really difficult to to understand like how long a lot of these scenarios are going to last, what the travel restrictions might be on Russian citizens, because... Now they've banned all of the the Russian flights from yes. EU airspace. So I mean, I think it's going to be hard for a lot of these players who are going to have to pick between like seeing their families and friends and homes and like not going. And you know, they might actually just be deported to Russia too. Like who knows yes, how EU certainly. teams, EU countries are going to react to this? Everything is so crazy right now, and the situation is changing so fast that it's it's really tough to know. But certainly, we're going to get worse esports out of it and also thor and i think this is another thing like there's in, there's pressure right now on fifa and the ioc to ban russian athletes from competition and what happens if esports uh tournament organizers follow that logic like what happens if the olympics and fifa ban russian competition internationally at olympics events or at the world cup well then all of a sudden do the tournament organizers also decide to ban russian esports players uh, that's well that's luckily luckily the number one tournament organizer in csgo is esl who as we've pointed out on the four horsemen is owned by that fucking investment group which is owned by the saudi theocratic government so luckily monty if there's ever one group of people who by the way would have no fucking place to ever be making statements about these things or be putting some sort of sanctions on anyone else it'd be esl surely so maybe that gets taken care of who knows <laughs> Maybe the maybe the Saudi government wants to virtue signal. I don't know, man. It's a, you, who can know what happens these days? <laughs> who can know? Uh, but yeah, I think it's it's rough. Uh, what's the biggest competition you've ever won? Could be esports related. Could be any competitive endeavor. Interesting. One that I've won. 
like technically, I guess for me, it's just like the esports journalist of the year award or whatever the fuck. <laughs> what else could it be, right? I haven't competed in that sense. I mean, my joke would be I did beat Hall of Fame star Shaquille O'Neal in a one-on-one live on television. <laughs> Listen, I mean, that sound like in basketball, but I'm just, I'm just leaving it at that. You know? I, did, I destroyed him. What are you talking about? It's first and nine. I nine-zeroed him. Uh, we won the TSM Holy War, Thorin. That was true. <laughs> I mean, as we point out every week, the implications of that just get more and more crazy, don't they? It's like the fucking Crusades with me. It actually is what all of history sort of inched on, apparently. <laughs> Uh, I think in terms of gaming, so here's an interesting story. So I used to play this game, Crimson Skies, which was an arcade dogfighting game yes, I uh, on Xbox Live. And I used to be like one of the top like 10 players in the world uh, in that game. And so I, I actually won some tournaments that people would come to uh, in that game in 1v1 dogfights in person, like lands basically. Uh, but the funny thing about this story is that the number I found, Doa and I found this out year la- years later, but Doa and I actually played Crimson Skies scrims on Xbox Live when he was in college and I was still in high school. Years, like probably like, I would say seven or eight years before we met each other in person. And we played on voice chat and he was the number one player in Crimson Skies. So I spent probably a year playing almost daily like Crimson Skies scrims with him and the other best players on the ladder because we would just go into private lobbies and play ourselves. And I, neither of us put this together until we had met in person like a year. And we were both like, oh yeah, I love playing Crimson Skies. And then we had this moment where like, holy shit, it was actually you. Uh, so we just randomly met online uh, years before we knew each other in person. So that was pretty fun. I actually have got an anecdote I can give you because I used it on, I think, by the numbers years ago, but obviously it's a different crowd. There's not as much overlap with CSGO. I'll tell a very brief anecdote, which goes like this. When I was younger, not a child, key detail here, but when I was in my teens and I used to frequent a comic book shop, believe, can you believe that, guys? That's before I went full-time in fucking video game esports journalism. So you can imagine the sort of person I was back then, very different, less based, let's put it that way. Right, and when I went to this comic book shop, because if you go to comic book shops to do things like play games like Magic or whatever... Right, it depends on who's in the shop as to whether you can play the game or not. So what would happen is, even though I much obviously preferred to play like Magic the Gathering or some like more like adult game, if people don't know, the Pokemon trading card game was even by Wizards of the Coast. It's just a really like stripped down version of Magic the Gathering basically without like all advanced interactions and stuff, especially the first like 151 or whatever Pokemon. It's like a very, it's like, it's basically like Babby's first version of Magic because obviously their premise I'm sure was once the kids grow up, we hope they then transition into Magic and it's like, like lifelong customers. So so what used to happen was every now and then there wouldn't be someone around in this comic book shop you could play Magic the Gathering with, but there'd be some fucking like 13-year-old, they, were, they weren't Zoomers back then, but the equivalent of a Zoomer going like, I got a Charizard. So what you do is you go, all right, kid, I'll tell you what, I've got a deck of that, so fucking let's play some Pokemon then. You'd play it, right? So then what happened was this comic book shop I used to frequent held a little local tournament. So that's right. Are you ready? This is some classic shit. I actually did rock up to this a kid's Pokemon tournament because technically there was no age limit and I destroyed these motherfuckers, Monty. <laughs> I won every single game except one and it was around Robin Farmer. In the final, I shit on everyone and this is the punchline to the whole thing. I didn't just rock up at a children's Pokemon tournament. Again, technically no age, but let's be real, it's Pokemon. I didn't just rock up and beat everyone, but as I was beating people, they'd go back to their parents. These are like 10-year-old kids and they'd go like, ah, I lost. they go, which kid did you lose to? And they'd point at me and I was like, I had to say like an 18-year-old kid, like, all right. And then the best part of it all, this is the funniest part of it all, is that at the end, it was all, it was totally already announced, right, on the poster. 
that the winner was that you'd get like a whole box of Pokemon cards. Like I'm talking like, you know, most of those boosters, right? Yeah, a whole yeah. box is like $250 or something. Isn't it? It's like some crazy amount. So oh, at the end, this is insane, Monty. It turns out all the kids stuck around because they knew whichever kid wins is going to get that box and open it. You're going to get to see like, you know, did he get Charizard? Did he get like all the best shit, right? And so here's the kicker. When I won, I'd actually read the small print. I don't want any Pokemon cards. The small print said, or oh, store credit. So I said, I'll just take the store credit. And I just left. <laughs> and then they were like, what do you mean? And I was like, oh, I don't want the Pokemon cards. And then the guy just put the box away and all the kids were like, oh, and then like, they were like, and then they all started to leave. So I not only wrecked them, I took everything from these motherfuckers. There we go. That's a story for you. That's epic. <laughs> it's epic. It? I know. I just took like the comic books I already had on reserve or whatever. Like, I know. It's so whack, isn't it? It's so whack. <laughs> get fucked that's, that's all in a valuable lesson yeah level I, up if you want to win this game yeah i was uh i was getting pretty good at the legends of the five rings like card game the the uh lcg game that they canceled during the pandemic uh i i placed very highly at a tournament in phoenix uh that i went to uh right before the pandemic started so that was a bummer i was pretty good at that but most of the games i've been good at have been tabletop games honestly um there was a time when if you guys know like miniatures games i played a game called mage knight uh and i was they had a national ranking system based on kind of tournaments that they would roll out at local stores so i was you know in high school in colorado and so i would go in colorado to events and i legit didn't lose a single game of Mage Knight in nine months of competition, got myself into third in the world, and then quit because I was bored because nobody could beat me. But I never went to outside of my state. So I don't know. Who knows what that could have been? <laughs> but yeah, a lot of my a lot of my success has been in like tabletop gaming as opposed to video gaming. Cause uh should we do should we do the last question? My mechanics now? suck, guys. My mechanics suck. That's that's the truth. Decision making good mechanics suck. <laughs> By the way, the obvious joke, though, is like in the end, the joke is on me because I'm pretty sure if I took that actual original 150 oh, yeah. Pokemon, if I just didn't open that, that is like Bitcoin, like where you bought it for like one dollar. <laughs> that would actually now be worth the joke is I did. I actually did the Team Liquid Monty, you know, where like 58th place was like eight Bitcoins. So I'm, I'm that guy. I'm the guy who just took like the $20, aren't I? So actually, the punchline really is the kids won out on me, didn't they? And I fucking got right. Although I wouldn't have, I would have opened them all anyway, so give a fuck. I mean, I, I went back to uh, I went back to Colorado for Christmas and pulled out some because I played a very little bit of Pokemon when it came out because I was playing Magic at the time. And I have like a shadowless Charizard and apparently it's worth like several thousand dollars. But my, my very small, honestly, Pokemon collection, I have a bunch of like foils and stuff that I tweeted out. Um, you guys can look for them if you want, trying to get price estimations on them. And uh, seems like it's worth a decent amount of money. Anyway. That's it. That's the last question. So we're done.